Please pronounce your name correctly for me. Andrew Allen. But you go by Andy. Andy. Yeah. yeah. Andy Allen. Now, you're from? The UK, from Nottingham. Born in Wales, so I'm secretly Welsh, but lived a lot of my life in Nottingham. Okay. But currently, we're in your studio in Prague. Correct. All right. So what brought you to Prague? Uh, I met a Czech girl. Classic. Fell in love, you know, moved to a magical city. Yeah, I love the place. I've been on and off for nine years now. Living permanently this year will be five. Uh, great city. A lot of opportunities that I would not have got, like in Nottingham. It's a great place to exist. I have a, yeah, nice job, nice studio. I'm pretty happy. So what's your background? So we've talked a little bit about your training off air, but so when you were young, uh, I, I'm often interested in how people even get to be artists or creative people or curators or whatever. So like, was it pe your parents were creative? Was it a teacher, friends? Like what influenced you to sort of follow the path of creativity? I would say like parents are not super creative. They're pretty creative, but not like professionally. Um, I had like some really good uh, teachers. I was always I was always pretty good at art and good at drawing and stuff, uh, and not not like incredibly academic or like I would always do. I'm really dyslexic, so I, I, I loved history, but like I was you know to sit in a three hour written exam is just not for me. So I just kind of pushed it uh, and then studied it. Went to college, went to university. Um, yeah, I love it. And like at university, uh, we were, our year was, all the staff were incredibly conceptual. So we were like force fed like loads and loads of this like conceptual, which I love. I love the bullshit. But uh, I think in response, our year in like a punk move all started like traditional painting and sculpture uh, to kind of piss everyone off. Well, it goes in waves like that. Yeah, right? it's always so, like. Yeah. My, you know, my, my professors were very, very conceptual and I'm not super conceptual but uh, yeah but i mean the whole industry goes in waves like that so i've heard that figurative is coming back now yeah yeah, yeah i think it kind of depends uh like where you are i think painting's always like relevant and it's always because it's like object and subject like painting as an object okay so you graduated from school in when when i will how old are you? I'm 30. So I graduated in 2012. Okay. Uh, from Loughborough, which was awesome, awesome institution at the time. <laughs> Not sure about nowadays. I haven't popped back for a while. But we had some great staff. As we graduated, it went through a lot of changes. Because when I, when I studied there, it was like third, third in the UK. Yeah. And then by the time we graduated, it dropped to like 12th. And then they were like reducing the size of studio spaces, making them into offices, like for some, some like nonsense, like bureaucratic, like rents cheaper on office than studio or something. And they were kind of pushing everyone to like, you know, sit in a little cube with a MacBook rather than actually paint. And I was also, I was the last year, I don't know if you know about, like in the UK, they raised tuition, didn't they? 
So it was like three grand. I know nothing about academia in the UK. Oh, it was like three grand a year. And then they put it up to nine. That's which a huge like, jump. alienated, yeah, a lot of people. Well, I was like poor boy from a poor family. But I got in on the last like three grand a year. And they kind of kept it at that. So I did very well. Because if it was nine, I wouldn't have even been able to study. Because I wouldn't have been able to get like grants and stuff. And, mm. you know. So I was kind of lucky, I guess. It's like right time. So just as a little thing, because of course people are listening to this as a podcast. So you're a painter and you tr- and you pretty much stay traditional. You do oil painting. Mm-hmm. And as a general whole, I would define your work as sort of space related. So sometimes interior spaces, sometimes exterior spaces. So it's not, it's a, you know, it's sort of a slight surrealism to it, but, but basically based in reality. Uh, yeah, that's pretty solid. Yeah, I, uh, that's my that's my yeah, arm, I enjoy armchair sp- I'm trying of to work. honestly, I'm trying to understand like what I'm doing, like constant, constantly. Like I'm in a position now with for the first time ever. Basically, I've got all of my work together in one place. Uh, so I'm kind of like going through it and looking and what's working. I'm constantly pretty. I make quite a lot of work, so I'm always kind of like flitting between ideas, but then always kind of, I guess, spend too long, you know, looking and like, oh, what's, how does this relate to this and this? Because ultimately, like, the paintings exist on their own. I mean, in a certain context within a show or whatever, but then you can be selective and you can like create a narrative or whatever. Narrative's not the right word, but you know what I mean? Uh, By the works that you present. Well, like a like, lineage, like your your yeah, your the story of your career, basically. So like this piece grew to that piece, grew to this piece. This yeah, piece kind of. They, this they piece start to inform piece. each other, and then like for me, I'm I'm kind of just obsessed with like mark and color and like just fundamental painting stuff, like a you know, like illusion and light and and things like this. But also, what's interesting me at the moment is this idea of like economy of mark. It's like how much do you need to give the viewer and it's also kind of more fun or intriguing for the viewer if there's not like that much information and they kind of have to sort of spend a bit of time with it and try to understand it like not not in an abstract way but in like um yeah it's like this gestalt idea like this kind of thing you know nobody can see that yeah i know i'm pointing at paintings on a podcast but you know what i mean it's okay everybody (laughs) does it it's fine I've been uh, looking at these, yeah, like interiors, and I chose these like really like opulent interiors just because there's so much information, like really like the, all the patterns and like designs and like everything's like over the top and gilded and like, and just it's good fun, you know, like as, as imagery to paint, it's just super fun. I guess f- fun is not really, uh, well, I guess it's useful, you know. Well, I tell my wife that I'm going down to the studio to play. Yeah, yeah, playtime. Like, I mean, I know it's work, and, and theoretically it's my career, and theoretically I earn money from it, but it's play. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, like, This is my bedroom. It's well, all I mean, my ha- favorite toys in here. I mean, half, <laughs> half of, you know, if, it, if, I'm, if I'm lucky, half of what I do will see the light of day. You know, there's a lot of things that I do that I play with, that I try, that fail, that never see the light of day. So, I mean, there's an element, I personally believe there should be an element of play mm. in the creative process. Like, yeah, massively. Like sometimes, you know, sometimes you uh, get sick of a work, you de-stretch it, roll it up, put it away, and maybe it pops out a couple of years later, you know, or or, 
one day you're feeling like, oh, I just want to get weird, and you start throwing like buckets of stuff around, and like, oh, this one's gone too far. Let's like deconstruct it, you know, kind of pour some shit over it, or, um, or scrape into it, or yeah, sand away at it, scratch back, or or chop it up, you know, kind of do whatever you want. That's the thing, like, and it's kind of hard sometimes. Like, you can, you can do anything; it doesn't matter. Uh, which is like kind of daunting at the same time but when you're in the zone like yesterday was a great day for me I just had so much fun um, yeah just playing around made made some new stretches I, I got out some old like acrylics I found this like ridiculous pink it's like high-vis pink I painted the canvas and nearly went blind um, just the, how vibrant the color was it's kind of making random videos and playing playing around and yeah, good fun. So, okay, studio practice. This is something that, you know, like I've had numerous conversations through my lifetime about this. Like, So are you the kind of person that every single day, nine to five, you, you know, whatever hours exactly, but like a, a regimented amount of time, like you say, I'm going to be in the studio, whether I ha- I'm motivated or not, or are you the kind of person that um, waits to be inspired to, before you even come into the studio itself? Or is there some other version of that? that I don't know a bit of both I guess like I try because I'm like uh like self-employed and do like flexible stuff it gives me the opportunity to kind of schedule time but like I kind of believe as well like if you're not physically in the space you deny the possibility of actually doing anything correct yes like, so you are not going to make art if you're not in your studio yeah, yeah. Like, i mean i always carry around a sketchbook and kind of do notes and little like ideas and like take fi- pictures and whatever but i i try to be in here as much as i can um and sometimes like i mean i don't spend all of my time when i'm in here actually painting of course not. Uh, like i mean i'm building canvases i'm editing images sometimes i'm you know i'm messing about having fun uh so yeah, I try, try to be in here a lot, and I do enjoy it, especially if I've got a big chunk of paint on the palette. I'm kind of a, I have to use it, you know, like never. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm like, uh, uh, what's the word? Like stingy, maybe. I would but not like, say stingy from what you just explained, but that's fine. No, not uh, stingy is not the right word, but like... Um, yeah, just try to be like economical, not like let my paint go dry or useless or whatever. Like even oh, of course, we all like do that. Yeah, I've, I've never seen anybody. Well, actually, I have seen many people. If I've got a full palette, I'll I'll crack on. Practice Saatchi. Saatchi. So where where we were was that. Uh, so the question was is basically uh, you have some experiences with Saatchi, longer experiences, and you're British, so like mm-hmm. you have a much closer affili- affinity towards it. So tell me about your experiences with Saatchi. So when I graduated, I was pretty lucky. I got quite a few shows, nothing like super serious, but like I, I remember the time. It was like over the next few months, it was like showing here, showing there, which was like super good, like part of a few graduate shows. I had uh, not a solo show, but like smaller group shows. And then we also started setting up our own shows. Uh, and I got like um, a random phone call from, what's her face, Rebecca Wilson, the like head correct, curator. Yeah. This is at the time when Saatchi wasn't like a huge corporate international thing. 
but she rang me and says like, oh, I found found your work online. You know, I really like it. Is there any chance, uh, would you be interested to make like a profile and blah, blah, blah. And I felt like super like honored, like, oh, cool. I've been selected. It's Sachi, of course. Found out, yeah, because like with the name. Uh, and then found out like anyone can make a profile. So I was like, oh, fine. But then she managed, she featured me on a couple of these, you know, new this week feature or whatever. And she sold like two relatively quickly and then consistently like every few months she would kind of, you know, feature one and it would get a lot of feedback. And I sold, well, I've sold a few now, but. So yeah, okay. at the Wait, time so was, let's get some st- sort of statistical data on this. So you've been right. on Saatchi for how many years now? I would say it was when I uh, when I graduated was 2012, and then I did like residency 2013. So it'd be a year after or 2012 or 13. I would okay, say. So let's call it six years. So over the course of six years, how Jesus. many pieces did you sell with them? Oh no idea. Uh, I don't know, like 10 maybe? Okay, that's not bad. 15? I I have no idea. I'd have to look. Quite a few. But uh, I guess, and I always found, because I've always been useless at like um, internet stuff and like, you know, ranking and blah, blah, blah. But like um, when you're like, uh, like searching for yourself online, like everybody does, right? all this Saatchi stuff is like right up there. It's like number one, it's like all over Google images and things like that. And I was like, huh, this is maybe, I guess they know what they're doing. But yeah, they essentially featured it. And yeah, from that came sales. And I was feeling pretty good. It was like a time as well. Every time I sold something, it's like my car would explode or like I needed to pay out like a massive. So it's kind of like made a lot of money, but at uh, the same time, uh, it just kind of disintegrated immediately. Yeah, life you know? has its expenses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is the way it goes. So I was like invited to join. I made the profile and kind of kept it up to date and whatever. Um, and yeah, they were like featuring and selling kind of regularly or regularly enough, which is like the other thing as well as an artist should build up a massive pile of work and it's like, I need to get rid of this. So yeah, what what do you want to know? I mean, <laughs> well, do you what did you have any tricks or tips or sort of things you did on Saatchi that you feel like were more helpful than others? Well, they they always told me like when I was especially when I was first making the profile, it's like upload, be kind of consistent, upload one one piece every week, so it's like it gets. Um, it has more of a chance to be featured because every every week they all the images go to I don't know the curator or whatever and they will select like every single thing that is uploaded by everyone or maybe not now but that was what they told me uh, it goes to the curator and they select and then like feature it and when it's featured like on the first page uh, I guess you get more more people viewing it, you of know, course. because like the way Sarch is set up is it's like a database of thousands of images and for people to just stumble upon your work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And one of the other things was like this, you know, you can input your keywords, mm-hmm. kind of be super broad with that as well. Like if you, if you put like, you know, landscape, it's like, 
whoa, that's super broad, right? So you kind of more of a chance, I guess. Well, I mean, it's hard. I, I, I have no idea how it works, but yeah, oh, the, like the this whole, consistency. Yeah, the whole algorithm thing drives me batty because yeah, I've said this before in, in previous podcasts, which is that basically in the old days when, when an artist made art, they, they went to a gallery and they sold it to the gallery. You know, they convinced the gallery to represent them. And then that gallery would convince somebody else. And it was very person to person sort of, and, and you could schmooze people. You could art talk people. You could, you know, convince them somehow to, that your work is somehow interesting or whatever. But these days with social media, Saatchi, Google, all these things, it's an algorithm that decides whether you're number one or you're one number one million. Mm. And, and we can't, we don't know what the trick is to effectively work that algorithm to our advantage. Yeah. I don't know how you would use it or like influence it, but I think like as artists, there's a lot more, not pressure on us, but like we're kind of expected oh, no, it's to pressure. like self-promote and we're expected to kind of be out there and be like super active and like all over social media and all over everything. And it's kind of, um, it's just, just the way it is. I mean, you just have to get on with it, I guess. Um, and yeah, I, I'm still fighting that whole thing. Like I, I know I have to participate mm -hmm. because it's just a fact of life. Yeah. But yeah. I really wish there were still parts of the art world that that wasn't such a big consideration. I mean, you mentioned something about followers, friends. Yeah, yeah. Tell that story. So it's not a super exciting story. Well, but, but it like, is because I've never heard it I've, before. I've heard uh, people being uh, like refused uh, exhibitions, not like on the strength of their work, but because they don't have enough followers, they don't have enough... Uh, like and it's kind of not not viable for the gallery to exhibit them because they're not widely known, judged by you know how many followers they have on Instagram, uh, which is well, it's ridiculous because like the the traditional kind of you know uh, job of a gallery, let's say, is to promote your work and get it out there. But they're looking, it's kind of flipped. They're looking at the artist like, oh, this guy doesn't have enough followers. He's not worth partnering with because I think the way that they see it I guess is like they look at you know the artist and if, if they have a you know big name loads of followers whatever they can like oh if we partner with this guy it's kind of good for us so it's kind of like totally flipped like it um, has that and that's sort of the you know my where I came to about creating this podcast basically is because I realized it, that has kind of flipped like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. I was trained I was raised under the tradition of you know the illusion the, oh yeah yeah seriously it probably wasn't it probably was even an illusion back then but the the idea that the artist sat in the studio made artwork the gallerist came in chose it put it in the gallery they sold it and the artist just sat and did whatever they wanted to do but now we have to be active participants but i mean not even just active participants but like we have to be good at it yeah yeah big time and it's like skills i just don't have skills I'm trying to build like uh, I kind of made this I kind of go on and off like this social media and Instagram like nonsense but like just try to post some like just content and sometimes people love it sometimes people don't sometimes I feel like I'm being you know really kind of big-headed or something like look at my stuff but like people I think genuinely kind of are interested and they like to see some pictures and what's going on you know this He's always, you know, saying he's in the studio, but like, 
what's happening. So how do you use that? Like I'm very, very traditional and, and I need to break my bad habits, but like I'm just, I pretty much just use it as a portfolio. Yeah, 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 and I don't do behind the scenes stuff too often, if ever. I don't do you know what I pretty much just put up a piece of art, and and it's it's information is below it, and that's it. But that's not what people want. The, it seems like what people want is they want to somehow feel connected to you, um, sympathetic, empathetic, engaged yeah, in your life, this kind of stuff. Like this seems to be the trend that it's almost sort of more it's cult like the personality person, isn't it it's not necessarily the work it's like the whole kind of thing yeah i mean like looking for example like the stuff that i enjoy i love to see um you know people on instagram like this sped up painting videos and things like this or yeah like you like kind those? of stretching a canvas yeah i mean uh when you're kind of just daydreaming or like doing this like, it's just super fun to watch so i thought like whenever oh, whenever i watch something those. like this I, I always watch those and I watch them and I, and I, and like, it's like, I don't know, 30 seconds long, let's say. And at like 20 seconds, I'm like, stop there, you know? And then they keep working and I'm like, yeah, damn yeah. it, they ruined it. Oh, like it was so good at 20 seconds. Always the story. Yeah. I overwork it. But then, I mean, you've got documentation. I mean, yeah, I guess like you can, you know, is the final pieces like a record of time spent with canvas rather than a finished piece, if you know what I mean. I do, and that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, there's a certain amount of me that, like, I would love to share of myself and be open and all that, but like, there's also another side of myself that is super nervous and afraid and anxious about yeah, being yeah, like judged, it. not being accepted, not being liked. Like, I'm constantly taking Xanax and, like, I'm even thinking about starting to drink again. Like, because, like, it's useful. Just, well, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, it's a very, like, I look at other people who work nine to five jobs. Like, they don't have to worry about this stuff. Mm. They have a job. And yeah. as long as they do their job well, they go, they're done. Like, they don't, they, but like daily, I can, I'm, I'm at some point over the course of my day, I am afraid of something generally afraid of rejection of some sort, mm. whatever that means. Uh, I'm anxious about some sort of, I'm not participating enough on this or mm -hmm. I'm not doing enough of that or I'm doing too much of this yeah, or yeah, too yeah. much of that. And it's annoying people or, um, whatever else, like I'm constantly having these fears of rejection and anxiety and, and, and not doing enough or doing too little. And, 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 and there's literally no guidelines as to yeah. what the right way to do it I is. I think this is kind of classic human condition. Like, I mean, a friend of mine, like we, you know, have big arty chat about like life and art and what does it mean and blah, 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 and what you're doing. And it always comes down to the same thing. It's like, just get on with it. Just kind of do it. Just, uh, yeah, keep by by doing it. You somehow it's like learn by doing, uh, and then by doing it, somehow you work out what you're doing. Kind of. No, I totally get it. I'm, I'm, I'm I understand and, that. And like, like as a as an artist and as like a, a freelancer and whatever, you you always I always find myself I'm wearing like like seven hats and not doing doing like seven things not very well. You know what I mean? So yes. It's like. Yeah, I think being self-critical is useful, but don't get 
bogged down in it. Like, well, like, I have a friend of mine that I ju- just recently, he was up for a really great job with a very famous uh, photographers. And he um, he went in, put his CV in, went in for the interview and all this. And they ended up saying, he's he's my age, so I think he's like 48. And he they said, um, yeah, we're not going to hire you because you're overqualified. Yeah. Because he, he can do and has the reputa- ability to do more than they wanted and more than they and he would be more expensive than they wanted to pay so like so like while somebody who is incredibly talented and qualified applied for a job they did not accept that person because they basically wanted somebody cheaper and younger to do the same job so like that's a difficult part of this industry also that's sort of Tough because I'm of that older generation now. I'm now 46, so I'm now of the older generation. I that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm not. I'm not defined as young anymore because yeah, I yeah, found yeah. out that 35 is the cutoff yeah. for being called a young artist. So you got five more years well, to like still do the, the yeah. yeah the young emerging artist. Well, yeah, but on the flip side though, uh, like people don't take you seriously until you're like 40 because like at any point I could just like have kids and never pick a paintbrush up again. So people see like buying your work, is it really going to be an investment? Is it, is he really going to keep practicing? And is he, you know, is it actually, uh, I've heard this from like a couple of people like gallerists and stuff. It's like they, they, it's one thing it's, oh, it's exciting as a young painter and whatever. Uh, but then at the same time they're like, oh yeah, but is he really a painter? It's like, yeah, well, I've been doing it for years, but you know, at any point I could stop and then all of a sudden, you know, your work isn't an investment anymore or people like, I don't know, they don't have the confidence in you because you haven't done the time. You oh yeah, I mean? my, my wife constantly sort of tries to encourage me to like get other jobs and do less of my artwork and I'm like, but if I do that, I'm basically going to throw away everything that I did. Yeah, exactly. Like, and it's you, just you've my, worked a lot of years like doing, doing your thing and like it may be hard, but... Uh, You've done it, so like if you. But that that sort of thing is like an arti- an artist, or, or a creative person. So it doesn't even have to physically be like a painter or whatever. But like creative person, it's our reputation and it's our career, and those two words for me mean longevity. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You have to have that. Hmm? You you can't just be like, I'm gonna be an artist and you, yeah, you yeah. do it for you like got, gotta a have year a track record like... and prove it as well because like you get so many people like, oh you're a oh you're an artist like and what you you paint watercolors of dogs on Sunday like no, I wish we on. could come up with a new word yeah yeah for this <laughs> for, for then, like the serious career artists yeah 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 like that's I mean different I, than like the hobbyists. I think, like, people kind of have this cheeky smile. It's like, oh, what? So you just kind of do nothing all day and like, that's your job. Uh, like, yeah, like serious artist. And sometimes I have this, oh, I just, it really does my head. And it's like, I, I take it seriously, you know. Uh, this is this is what I do. This is what I'm passionate about. This is what I love. And like people like, to, oh, so you do some nice little sketches. It's like, fuck off. Oh, like my wife keeps like well, not even my wife, but people in general keep saying like, "Well, what are you gonna do when you retire?" And I'm like, "What makes you think I'm gonna retire?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like my hope is I will die in the studio or in a classroom because I'm a teacher. So like, I want to die doing what I do. I don't. I have no interest whatsoever in stopping. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Same for me. Like I. I, I'm happy to be, uh, poor. I've been poor for years, but like 
if my art can pay for itself or if my I mean you always have this classic human dilemma of like money versus time it's like how much money do I want how much time do I have how much is my time worth and like you have to kind of I don't even necessarily think like do the math but have some kind of rough idea like I try I I try to spend as much time creating as I can or as I want to and like earn I'm quite happy to occasionally like not book myself for for stuff and uh have more time to myself like I think you can well yeah have a lot of fun without spending much money it's yeah it's always this trade-off and you have to kind of work it out for yourself and it changes as well like sometimes like what how will it change when you have a child yeah exactly I mean there's 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 a lot of things like I mean you always have to buy food and pay rent and things so that's kind of standard but then it's like you know I I mean I don't need nice new trainers all the time or, or whatever I mean occasionally yeah but yeah, it's a trade-off. You have to decide what your time is worth and how you spend your time. It's sort of philosophical. All right, so to take you back from our philosophical yeah, waxings. Yeah, yeah. No, it's kind of so, fine. I'm good with philosophical waxings. I I had this one long, I had this long conversation with this guy for four years about just the definition of what is art. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and that's it. That was the question. What is art? And we went on literally, we were in school together, so undergrad program, all four years, every time we saw each other, like trying to convince the other person of our position for four years. We ended up just not ever coming to a resolution. This is something that I kind of enjoy. So uh, like on on these lines, like what is art? It's like my brother is an engineer. Uh, and he's very black and white, like, this is right, this is wrong. Well, it's, engineers, it's, it's, it's either on or job. off. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's right or it's wrong. Like, and well, me as an artist, it's like, I don't care if it's right or it's wrong. It's about the conversation. And, like, it's about, like, it's uh, you know, your point of view, my point of view, and, like, and how that kind of develops in the, in the back and forth and the play. Because by having the conversation about whatever... Uh, you kind of like start to understand it more whereas he he just does not get it it's like i'm all about shades of gray and he's like no it's 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 good or it's bad it's wrong or it's right and i i kind of appreciate that but i just oh i i was in my undergrad program and this this uh i don't know substitute teacher came in one time and i put my work up and and she just was oh no this is wrong and i was like what the what kind of wrong would I ended up like making I met I ended up complaining so hard that she never worked for the school again because yeah, like, wow. like you don't say <laughs> I mean, even even if you say it just one-on-one that's that's slightly unacceptable mm. but like to say it in front of a class as it's the wrong. teacher yeah. to say the word wrong I was so pissed so I try really really hard to try and find really good precise words to describe works because Good, bad, right, wrong. Like mm. these are these are horrible things to use in the arts world because oh god, yeah, they're they're not relevant. Yeah, I had a critique the other day with a couple of friends who were like great artists, but it didn't really go super well. It's like, oh, this is nice, or oh, that is nice. I was like, come on, guys, like you're better than this. But that's not well. My the my teachings, and then of course I do portfolio reviews every day, and. Part of it is is you want to be constructive. Yeah. So, like, so, well, like, you, so if something's not working, what could they 
potentially do to make it better or make it work better, whatever. So it's, as much as it's pointing out the flaws of something, it's also saying, but maybe you could use that flaw to then build something else out of it. Yeah, exactly. Of so it's you, like, what's what's the relationship? What does it, you know, what's successful, what's not? What's, uh, sometimes like the, the most uh, useful paintings are not, the best ones like the like a failed painting is sometimes has something that like some spark or some some something that really kind of helps you out or like uh or often like just another point of view is super useful like you ask you know uh creatives or or whatever like what do you think of this how do you feel about that what's you know the relationship what's this was and super useful i'm kind of missing that kind of art school critique vibe a little bit here in Czech. I mean, I've got some great friends and great practitioners and whatever to to do this with, but I wish I had a few more, honestly. We all look for that all the time. We're always seeking a tribe to be part of. Like, oh, e- yeah, Even yeah. though we're individuals doing our individual practices, we still want a support network. Yeah, uh, yeah it's nice to have a little team. Like we did uh, my collective that's flashed uh there's like a f- yeah there's kind of four of us the solid solid ones and we've done some like it started we had a uh space in Colbenova, like 200 square meters old factory and we did some uh we would work in there we did events and exhibitions and parties and all sorts eventually we we lost the space uh, but we've kind of kept together up until pretty recently, actually. I mean, we still meet and we still chat and we're still we're planning some events later this year, uh, in fact. But yeah, to have this kind of little support network, a little, my, my team, you know. And the guys as well, you can kind of rely on. It's like, give them a ring. It's like, oh, guy, you know, I, I need your help. Like, I need to move some wood from, I don't know, Hornback or whatever, or whatever it may be, like... So it's nice to have this little little team going on. We always seek that. Yeah, yeah. I think time. as like an expert as well. And as you get older, it's harder to make friends or like useful friends. Well, not useful friends, but you know what I mean? Like good friends that you have like a, a bond with and also you're kind of beneficial for each other and whatever. And um, so, yeah, I think finding that or like looking for that is something because you can be kind of isolated, especially like in a foreign country, you know, Preaching to the choir. Paint, yeah. Painting on your own in your little room. So it's kind of super, uh, super useful to have this like little team, you know, and try and like, I mean, I'm not so good at it, but I need to get better, but like try and go to openings and events and like, uh, and kind of be there. Cause it's, it's like, if you don't play the game, you don't win. So we were talking earlier about um, competitions, you know, it's like loads of international competitions and like, like for example, the John Moores in in England, you know, it's like big painting prize. And the, the I don't know, but I believe you. Purchase prize of twenty five grand, twenty five thousand pounds, and like if you well, if you win that, you're sorted basically because all wait, your paintings wait, wait, have got. Did you say portrait? No, purchase. Uh, no, John Moores. It's like painting. Oh, okay. Generally, uh, but the purchase prize is twenty five thousand pounds. So, and if you sell your painting for £25,000, it all of a sudden means all your other paintings, you know, get a, an extra zero right. on there. Right? But out of all the people that, from the entire world that oh, are going God, to go there, yeah. only one person is going to win that. Yeah, 
pretty much. I so, mean, you couldn't uh, if I mean even to be selected, like even to exhibit in the show, even to yeah, be shortlisted, shortlisted yeah. is like a major deal. Uh, and I'm sure something would come from it because you kind of you you have this somehow this accreditation of of being. Okay, well, of it well let's take this back a step again, trying to be uh, helpful to the listeners. Uh-huh. So, when you're thinking about entering a competition, let's say, what's your criteria for choosing which ones are worth your your time and your money yeah. to enter yeah, versus others? Money as well. That's the, the thing. Yeah, a lot of them cost you know twenty five, thirty five euros here and there, to, and that adds up. Like, I mean, I, I had one time I remember. I entered like 10 competitions ended up costing me like $500 in in a month. And I'm like, that's just, that was too much. Yeah, it is like you don't play the game. You don't, if you don't enter, you're not going to be selected, are you? So you roll those dice. Well, that's the thing is like the game these days is that you have to be playing. Like you, you, mm-hmm. you, the the the, uh, the the theory of an artist, like the the romanticized history of artists, is that they sit in their studios, drink a lot, smoke a lot, and and, and probably are very antisocial. But like it's it's become the job of an artist in the twenty first century that we have to actively yeah, put, put our out work there. out into the public uh-huh. ourselves. So not our gallerists or our representatives or anything like this, but we have to do this. So like, and this is where this whole influx of, of, of international competitions, because they didn't exist 50 years ago, really, mm-hmm. you know, so like this is a reasonably new phenomenon to create this. I mean, they used to have salons and things like that, but yeah. they were local and regional. So, but these, but I mean, some of these massive ones that exist in the world, you know, the Europe, the, you know, I'm, thinking for some reason the Turner Prize and yeah, like other yeah, things like yeah. this. Like, there's massive ex- things that I like, mean in, in uh, the UK there's loads and like be it growing up in the UK and going to school in the UK and whatever there's, there's loads there's like the Painter Stainers and the, the John B- Moore's BP and has BP. a yeah, yeah there's lo- loads of them and you're kind of always encouraged like if maybe if you do a piece and you think right this one but often when I'm looking uh, it's always good to look at the judges who's judging it like who, who the uh, like the committee are or whatever, because you can and and then be kind of selective with the works that you maybe present. Yeah, go for it. Sorry. Right. Yeah, I know. I, I I've always been told you know when you enter a competition you look at the judges. Mm. Always been told that. I have entered competitions for going on fifteen twenty years now in my career and. Out of all of the competitions that I have entered, not one judge has ever done fuck all for my career. Like, because the the theory, like, because I was even told this as a student by my professors that they said, "Oh, well, if you if you submit some stuff to this competition, so and so is a juror. If they like their your work, they will then help your career. Mm-hmm. So, like, if they choose you as the winner, they will sort of put their name, and maybe yeah, they, yeah. they will then recommend you to somebody else." Never have I. There had. is a lot of that in the art. Where I've I've never had that. But like, for example, you know, if your uh, maybe your tutor was like a, you know, big big name in the art world or whatever, and then you're all of it, you're the school of this guy, and then you or then the school of that guy, and and blah blah blah, and that's kind of holds a lot of stuff. And yeah, same with the jurors, the selection committee or whatever. I did one year. It was probably to 2014 I entered Painter Stainer which is in the UK it's quite a big one and I was shortlisted and I got uh but and the piece that I sent it was still slightly wet 
Uh, I went and drove down in the van, dropped it off, left it with them. And, uh, and yeah, Jesus, like these people, yeah, that like that was minus a million points for me. I mean, I couldn't really do anything about it. It was like, so like I thought it would be dry. It's oil painting, right? And it was a very, very slightly wet. And I think that, like, I was like on the blacklist from then. So, well, but like, what I'm trying to get at too, though, is uh, what I'm saying is the competitions are great. I love the idea of sort of the competition and the, you know, the, the cream rises to the top kind of thing. I get that idea. But oh, I think it's quite inbred as well. Well, yeah. I mean, there's part of that as this too. But like, what I'm thinking, it's funny, I'd never thought of this before, but through our conversation here, I'm thinking, what I would love, so like, let's say I entered a competition. What I would love is I don't care about like the idea of like winning a competition. Mm-hmm. What I would love is if the juror or the judge would then, you know, call it mentor me for a year. Like, so whoever chooses you says, okay, I'm going to help your career mm-hmm. for X amount of time, or I'm going to put, I will put an exhibition of this piece in my gallery, or I will curate it into my ex- next exhibition or something like that. Like it's they would I, put, like personally invest in you. Kind yes. Of thing. I want to, I yeah, want to hear I've, about uh, people. That in, must exist. I'm or, sure it does somewhere. I've heard of it, the mentoring part at least, but like, but like instead of, Instead of these random judges being chosen by a a, a, a company that runs a, a competition, and then they just come in, they say, "Oh yeah, this is nice. I like that. That's great. Okay, yeah, they win." Mm. I want them to actually put their reputation, their yeah. name behind me as a winner and and help my career in some way. Like I I feel like it's sort of like it's almost like drive by shootings. They're like they come in, they go, "Yeah, that's nice. Okay, great. Good job." And then they walk away. Yeah, yeah. Like, I want them to actually help the career. Yeah, push it. Well, I guess if they're personally invested, this is like a thing. Uh, it's came up a few times by other people in the podcasts. Like, uh, you know, like kind of donate a piece of work to them. And then all of a sudden they're on your team and invested in it. Uh, I mean, I kind of I get it, but I don't think that's necessarily the way to go. I haven't donated to anything in a very long time. But that's... I have. I think, like, in the right circumstances, it's kind of okay, but uh, it's kind of a weird thing. I Yeah, I kind of get it. It's like, if, if, you know, I have a piece of yours, then I am, like, yeah, on you, on your team, right? And I, I'm going to try and oh, promote you and push and you and try and... Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, between that's artists, I'm all yeah, for yeah. that. No, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, same. I mean, I, I love art. I love to collect. But, like, I couldn't afford to buy my own paintings. Neither I can't kind of, afford yeah. to buy other people's paintings. Nope. Like, so it's but like I love trading for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm all for trading between artists. I'm big on that. But... The idea of like the thing that bothers me a lot is the nonprofits and the NGOs that come and say, "Oh, will you give to our benefit thing?" Like, I'm not a not fan of that. Like, mm. I, 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 it's the same. It's the same problem I have with um, the the secondary market, the auction house market, mm. where basically, like, so if somebody buys a piece of mine for 500 euros. Five years from now, they sell it for five thousand euros. I get none of that profit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They get four thousand five hundred euros, even though they are earning that off of my talent, my work, my reputation, my career. As is the reason why they now have something that's worth ten times more than what they bought it for. Mm. But I get no money from that. And so it's sort of the same thing on nonprofits asking me to donate to their you know auctions and whatever else. I'm like, if a if a nonprofit came to me and said. 
would you be willing to put the piece in an auction? We'll give you 20% of the, the sale price. Great. I'm good with that. Like that, that's better. But the idea that I'm just going to literally donate it, basically, I'm going to put my entire reputation, my entire career, my work, everything I've done, I'm going to say, oh, yeah, I'll just give it to you because I believe in your cause. Mm-hmm. But, but the, I there, think... there's a certain amount of hard costs involved in that. Oh, there's yeah, certain absolutely. things like... that, like, I kind of need to make that money back. Yeah, yeah, like, I make big oil paintings, and they cost a lot of money. Like, I you mean, use oil nice linens and yeah, good wood. Yeah. I mean, you know, that canvas that I'm pointing to on yeah, a podcast. Yeah, I see it. The one behind on the wall. The that's one that you like all see. Yes. Florentine linen. That's a lot of money. That yeah. was. I sold a piece. I thought I'd treat myself. But like, I mean, that is your cost. It's your time. It's, it's This is it's a weird game we're playing, right? We've got a... But people some, not in the arts world aren't asked these of these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's they, just and, artists. And as well, like, you know, friends who want to invest, they're like, or, uh, or you know, um, what about mates rates? Or like... Like like a real mate would, you know, want to pay what it like pay you more, right? Because they want to invest in you, not like, oh, can I get it cheaper because I'm your friend? Like, I mean, it's kind of always playing this weird game. Pricing. How do we price artworks? So, like, from the start, from the get go, like right now, let's say you paint a painting and you want to put it out on the market. How do you come up with a price? Track record, basically. Uh, when I when I first got that like introduction to Saatchi kind of thing and started selling, I sold the, like my first painting. It was seventy-five square centimeters for those seventy-five. People. Yeah, seventy-five centimeters, and I sold it for like X, right? Do I say X or numbers or what? You can say numbers if you're okay with people knowing your prices. I mean, it's not like people don't know your prices because they can just go to Saatchi and find your prices. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. So I sold this piece is like $2,000 so and 75 centimeters square and from that I made about I don't know 1200 for 1400 something like that so now that means somehow that if I produce a painting of like a similar style or whatever that big is worth that much because if I sell it for less than that I've devalued uh, the collector that's already bought it for you know, this money. So like if I sell one for like half the price, then, you know, that's kind of devalued its own worth. But then on the flip side to that, do you like keep, uh, do you hold on for this price? You know, do you, do you keep painting, keep producing? Like people don't maybe, oh, that's a bit expensive. They would have it maybe a bit less. So like, how do you even deal with that? Do you just end up with painting yourself into a corner? Do you yeah, what do you do? It's an eternal question. I mean, every every artist I've ever spoken to has had the same dilemma. There's no standard art pricing. Like, mm-hmm. there's no international standard. Like, a 75 meter, 75 by 75 centimeter piece is this price, period. Like, it doesn't exist because there's so much more to it. Because, it's like you said, it's about reputation. Mm-hmm. So, it's not about the size. It's about the size and by whom. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's um, like, I mean, I've sold big pieces and sold small pieces. So I've got like a rough guideline and I've tried to like work it out. It's like, okay, so for uh, square centimeters, for example. Or yeah, like, but see, that's the wrong way it, to go it to. It totally doesn't work like that because like I've, you know, I, I've painted like a, a huge painting in like six hours and then I've painted a tiny painting in like 
50 hours. You know, See, it's, it's funny. Like, I, oh. wouldn't go, I wouldn't even think to go by time put into it. I think about like the amount of like quality of work, let's say craftsmanship, workmanship, yeah, something yeah, like this as well. Sometimes behind the painting, there is like 20 sketches and well, like, like some photos. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm like, thinking whatever. like Picasso, like a, a Picasso sketch while it may have taken him 10 seconds to do it might be worth more than a painting that, that is three times the size. Yeah. 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 So it's not about the amount of time put in. It's about the reputation of not only you as an artist, but the reputation of that work, you know, because mm. like a Picasso blue period will sell more than a Picasso from some other period Yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's the blue period and that reputation, the reputation of his work at that time has such a high value. I mean, the same thing like Andy Warhol, you know, an early sketch by Andy Warhol probably would not be as worth as much as, a Marilyn, yeah, yeah, you know, because the Marilyn is is so some, much more iconic. Uh, I read recently there's some guy who's like trying because he produced like loads and loads. His whole thing was like this mass production and this like critique or whatever. But the so he made like loads of prints of stuff, and there's like people just trying to get like all of them, so they get like a monopoly. So then all of a sudden it's like I've got all the Warhols, and now it's worth like you know, loads. Yeah. You, you can define the price if you own them all. And then I guess like with art market, like historically as well, you, as an artist, you only produce while you're alive. So as soon as you're dead, I kill myself, right? Uh, it's, Please don't as kill soon yourself. As, you, as soon as you're dead, your amount of work that you've made is like finite. And then it's all of a sudden more valuable because there isn't going to be any more. Correct. Uh, so it's like... And then I guess it's kind of like a trading game. Like some, I mean, you know it yourself as an artist, like some pieces are better than others and like some of are course. more successful. Maybe you prefer some, maybe. And it kind of changes always, but like people as well. Like well, but the, there's also the point of like, maybe you prefer some, but maybe the public doesn't yeah, prefer yeah, this. Like yeah, I run into that true. every fucking time I have an exhibition. <laughs> I will, this always happens and I'm, I'm about to have another exhibition and I'm sure this is going to happen again where basically like I will put up the ones that I think are the best. I'm like, oh, this is my like, this is the best example of this series of works. I, I mean, I, I will put it prime spot and all that. And then there'll be one, like one or two pieces at the end where I'm like, fuck, I didn't need to fill up the walls here. I'll just throw these other ones up. And everybody loves those ones that I was not going to put up. Mm-hmm that are, I'm, I'm just filling up the walls with these other ones. Those are the ones that everybody else loves. So I'm wonder, I'm always wondering for myself, like, do I have horrible taste? <laughs> because nobody loves the ones I love and they all love the ones that I'm like, ah, whatever, I'll just put that up. So like, do I have horrible taste or am I off the mark? Like, do they just seem to know something I don't know? Why is it everybody else loves the things I don't love and nobody loves the things I do love? Yeah, I think like that absolutely happens all the time. Um, like I think as well, you kind of like it happens with me. I I get really sick of like looking at a specific painting, and it just like absolutely does your head, and you have to like turn it around and put it away and blah blah blah. Uh, and then when that does happen, like I've had, uh, for example, like the you know work I made in 2012, I had it wrapped up for years got it here to Prague, unwrapped, and I was totally sick of it. Like, I didn't want to see it, I didn't want to think about it, blah, 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 because I just totally had enough. And then you get it, you know, uh, out a few years later, unwrap it, you're like, ha, huh, okay, it's not too bad. It's like, I kind of get it. Um, like that. I'm sick of looking at that. Again, point into paintings, sorry. 
Yes, this is not a video podcast. This is just audio. So he's pointing to a piece in his <laughs> studio that he is not enamored with at the moment, I guess. Yeah, I'm sick of looking at it. Okay, but so back to pricing of stuff. So yes. like, I mean, the whole the whole thing is it's really hard. Uh, like, okay, I was raised in the United States. I was taught a certain sort of pricing structure there, and then I went to the Middle East. I lived in Abu Dhabi for six years, and boy, their pricing is ridiculous there. They overprice everything. Mm -hmm. Like, holy crap. Everything is so much more expensive there, even though it's the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's ridiculous. And then I come to Prague, and in Prague, everybody keeps telling me, oh, yeah, you can't price like you're in Paris or London here. You you have to lower your price to the market that's here. And I'm like, yeah, but if I lower my price to the market here, I have to lower my price everywhere. This is a massive thing I'm up against because I was practicing like in the UK for a long time and I was doing like relatively well. I would say I was like showing and getting like generating interest and like selling as well. And then you come to Prague, and this is another thing. And it's sorry to kind of change the topic. It's kind of still with price, I guess. But you know, as as a as a British painter, I come to Prague, and the thing is, if I was a Czech painter in in Nottingham, it'd be like, oh, it's cool, you know, exotic, and wow, you'd get like the shows and the funding and things. You come here to the Czech Republic, it's like, yeah, British painter, and like nobody gives a fuck, like seriously it's like oh so you're not Czech I do a friend uh, Carlo he's a great painter from Italy studied in the UK but he was like convinced that he was going to change his name to Karel just to get some like shows and like something oh if I just sign it as Karel like or if I make you get an actor to play Karel I've thought about doing work under my wife's name awesome uh, like conceptual idea uh, but yeah, very, very real. And like, and do you, it's so, do you, do you, de- do you uh, decrease your prices and theoretically devalue your work to join a market that you're not even part of because you're kind of an outsider? Uh, and then like, this is like the eternal dilemma. It's like, I mean, I, I'd, you know, I'd love to do more shows and things if I've got some coming, but do I have this as like a, a place to work and then continue to seek things internationally, like uh, look at prizes in the UK? Look, I mean, most of my work that sells like online goes to the UK or the US. You know, it's very, I sold one to Germany, but like, and like I've sold a few in Czech, but really, I mean, I don't know what, I need some. Well, that's something I've run into and that I've sort of recently sort of come to a realization of it, which is just because you live somewhere does not mean that's where your market is. Yeah, yeah. So you can live anywhere you want, but that's not necessarily where people will buy your work. Yeah, this is true. So and- you, you cannot price or value your work based on where you live. You value it based on where people buy it. Yeah. Or exhibit it or whatever, you know, whatever. It's true, but as well, if you want to be part of the like creative bubble, like in Prague or in the Czech Republic, you have to kind of play this game. I mean, like, I'm, you know, sitting here in the studio, loads of other uh, Czech practitioners work here, like painters, sculptors, you know, people from the academy and whatever. And they're great, but like, and they're quite like respected, but like me as an English guy, 
nobody cares again. Like if I was in the UK, I would be a different story. Or certainly a few years ago would be a different story. Maybe. But it's interesting. Like if I were in the United States and I met a Czech artist that came into the United States, I'd be like, ooh, I want to see their artwork. Yeah, I yeah, want to yeah. learn about their thing. Oh, this I exciting, know, yeah, exotic, kind of, yeah. you know, different backgrounds, like different learning structures. I want to hear all about what, you know, how they got to whatever they do. But yeah, here in, well, I don't know if it's all in all of Europe, but here in the Czech Republic, for sure, they have no interest in outsiders. Yeah, yeah. the Czech, I, this is, and so on. I might first, cut this out because Czech people listen. Yeah. <laughs> they might get in trouble. On, this, on, the, on one hand, uh, you have like the, the Czech art market, they want to invest in Czech practitioners. They are Czechs themselves, you know, the Czech uh, collectors who want to buy Czech work and support the Czech. And I really like get that and I appreciate that and whatever. But on the flip side, even if, even if, right, I am the king of Prague, right, and I am, I am exhibiting any everywhere, I am, I am Cherny or Pasta or whatever, on, in, on an international level, it's like nobody really gives a fuck as well. So it's like why you can be a big fish in a small pond Correct, or yeah. like a little fish in a big pond kind of thing. I mean, I th- like for me, certainly, I'm not overly pushing myself to exhibit and sell here in the Czech Republic. I mean, I, I love to do it and I uh, and whatever. I'm well. I'm re- really now. I'm focused on making some new work because this is kind of where my heart is right now, and and I want to make a new series before I don't have time to make a new series. You know, uh, with like other commitments. I was in the United States, and like I constantly like I, yeah. I'm I probably I probably made the mistake of. I thought when I was in school, I said, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I, I went to one school on the East Coast. and then mm-hmm. I, Well, actually, no. I went to one school in the middle of the country in Iowa. And then I went to another school on the East Coast. And then I went to another school on the West Coast. So I was thinking, oh, I'm going to be great. I'm going to be well-rounded. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. you know, have all these different imp, you know, influences on my work. Was, and I believe in the end, it probably was to my detriment in my career. Because I didn't build on the success in one location or one place and i didn't i didn't allow for that sort of a continued accumulation of experiences and 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 connections and networks and and um and influences and all these things because i kept moving and leaving and going new places and, and and being influenced by new things like if i looked at my work that i'm making right now i would never have done that 10 years ago yeah literally like it never even entered my mind to to make work like what I'm making now but in the past 10 years I've moved probably four or five times in two different continents and yeah, so like right. my influences have changed my experiences have changed and in one way it's great because I think my artwork is substantially more interesting and more um, compelling in many mm-hmm. ways now than it ever was in the past however I've lost many of those connections and those networks and those influences and the peers and the, all the other things that many artists, like like the Czech artists, like so the Czech people, they get trained here, they do this, and, and they stay here. Yeah. And, and so like, there's this great lineage of 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 quality and, and aesthetics and really like about that as well. It's like but, I studied under this guy. I oh yeah, they're huge I mean? on that. But I want to I want to throw one little thing in that I learned about the Czech people is, is that they often will. Um, 
but not often, it's mandated that if they go to university that they must do an Erasmus, a study abroad somewhere else. So they're all like, oh, we're all about Czech artists. We're all about check this, check that, but go study somewhere else. So like if it was so much about Czech, why do they have to study somewhere else? Yeah, I mean, it is a small, it's a small country and a small nation. And I guess like historically they're always trying to, they're always this like underdog kind of thing of the Czechs. Uh, so like fine, but like, I mean, Prague is really an international city. It really could be, um, something like Vienna, something like Berlin, like from an art perspective, like it Absolutely. really, there's some in- incredible places and institutions here. And there's this huge amount of potential, incredibly here. like kind of inbred and like pushing, I don't know, for me, like pushing sometimes the wrong practitioners and stuff or I mean I'm not saying they should all like exhibit my stuff but they should be a bit more receptive and I think I think they could do a lot better I think I mean it is changing it is really is changing over the last few years and I I guess it will come but they're missing out I think I think it's very closed yeah as I say I, I believe this market has a huge amount of potential. Like mm. whether it's uh, bringing international things here or getting things from here put out more internationally, yeah, I whatever, I don't know. it seems to be more about putting stuff from here internationally. Well, they need to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah, and I mean, it's like we were speaking before. It's like, oh, decrease your price to join the market. Well, they're trying by collectively, you know, working Czech investors on Czech artists and blah 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 they're you know collectively trying to raise the the market price i guess by being so inbred so yeah it it is what it is it is what it is but like uh so you made like a few points earlier like being so you've like lived all over the world and sort of or well, not all over the world but you know what i mean like many different like influences and whatever and like different experiences living in different places and which is great i'm not saying anything bad about my life so there is the but yeah, it but has the hurt my career yeah, yeah yeah well i think like me moving from the uk uh because just before i came i had like a big solo show in london and i and i think if i stayed there and kept hammering away and kept pushing I think I could have like built up a bit more, but the reality was, I mean, life always gives you this, but the reality was, you know, moved to Prague, like sold all my stuff, came to live in Prague, tried to sort out my life and my job and whatever, you know, and then set up and stop working again. But like also massive inspiration, like Prague really inspires me and Mm -hmm. it really like pushes like the work that I'm making now, I wouldn't be making like, so like, I mean, well, but there's, there's the nature of like when you do a dramatic move, like uh, something from, a, you know, to a different continent or to mm-hmm. a, you know, a dramatically different place. Like when I first got here, like, so I've been here two years now, when I first got here, people kept telling me like, oh, it's really nice. So you have this long career, you've been in academia, you've exhibited in all these places, you have pieces in these collections and that's all great. Um, where you should exhibit here, there's this great coffee shop yeah. that I'm sure would love your work. And oh, I'm like, addresses. I'm like, you know. I think in my career, at this point in my career, I don't believe I'm going to go to a coffee shop. Like, and, and, and that's hard. I mean, so this is not a prog conversation, but this is just a general conversation of like moving. Like, so it, like if you do a dramatic shift in your career, so I, I, I like move to a new location, 
how far do you have to start from scratch or how far mm. do you have to start from just less? Yeah, well, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. I mean, like myself personally, I mean, I'm moaning about the Czech art world. Like I say, the city inspires me. I've been given like a lot of opportunities here that I wouldn't have had otherwise. But then I, like I've missed a lot of opportunities as well. And I guess you've always got your previous kind of track record is like kind of in the bank. You know what I mean? It's well, like the, it's the question still, is, how much does it matter to people, though? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like, well, it's, I've never had anybody so request true. my CV. Here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's like uh, they just see me as an American and they're like, yeah, OK, you're an American. Well, it's like this idea that, you know, if, if you don't have a degree from Yale or Oxford, it's like it doesn't even matter. <laughs> well, well, I mean, well, it's funny that like that, that sort of pops in my head, though, like. Instagram, like let's take in social media. Like nobody on social media has ever said, "Oh, and here's my CV." Oh God, yeah. yeah. Like I, you know, for all the people, all the artists that I follow on on Instagram, like I've never looked up their CVs. Mm -hmm. I never looked at where they were trained or what collections they're in. But yet somehow that seems to be still important in some ways. Mm, I guess having a solid track record is like. I think the the biggest, I think that has to exist somewhere, your, your CV, like whether it be online or like upon request, I think it's important to keep it kind of. Wait, I'm sorry, you don't, you don't put yours online? My, no, mine is online. Okay, upon request. Like, no, that's no, but old. like, no, it's got to be like, not upon, I did, it doesn't mean upon <laughs> request, but it's got to be. Well, you no, know, it, it's got to it, be on. There. It's got to yeah, be yeah. on a website. It's got to be available. It's got to be consistent. Like that's the thing. I mean, if all of a sudden, like you didn't do anything for three years, or like the only show you did was in a in a cafe, like it's well, like, huh? Well, well drop, see, and that that's really dropped the ball, right? So you have to keep it relevant and current, and like, you know. And the thing is, as well, like what I, I uh, it, you know, if the if the shows, uh, if you, if you don't get accepted or whatever, if you don't exhibit um so much like i've been make your own right like and it's one thing so i guess this ticks like a different box this is kind of your curator and show planning and event management or whatever but still like valid like you know if uh if you're not doing anything that from your CV seems like a, you know, pivotal matter. I'm not saying you have to chase this all the time, but you should definitely be aware of it, I, I think. Oh, I had a friend in grad school that he used to say that his goal in his career is to literally have at least one thing every year for his whole career. Like, so there's, there's no gaps. Mm -hmm. So literally something artistic happened every year of his yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was a, an amazing thing because, like, now, like, I ended up going to the Middle East. Now I work figuratively, so the Middle East didn't really like my idea mm. of working figuratively. So, like, there's a pretty good gap in my CV for as far as exhibitions because I really couldn't exhibit figurative works for a while because I worked for the government and I didn't want to lose my job or be thrown in prison. So, so you know, there's a big gap in my my CV because of that, and and that has hurt me mm -hmm. in many ways you know and this goes back to like the thing of like but you can still say having like kids like having know, that I, gap I was teaching that for that period or whatever or yeah but but, but that's the thing is, is it's funny because like i have this conversation with people who aren't creative is that like when it comes to being a teacher and having a career as a teacher you have to be exhibiting mm 
Yeah, like, to so be you, relevant. That's right. You, you cannot be a 100% academic and not a practitioner. Mm-hmm. You must be a practitioner in order to be a teacher. Like, whether it's a very active or minimally active, whatever, but like you have to be active. Yeah. You cannot just be a teacher at the collegiate level, I should say. So, you know, some high school, whatever, that's mm-hmm. different. But like at the collegiate level, you have to be active in your industry. So, whether that's art historians publishing or, or doing speaking engagements or whatever, or, or, practicing studio artists exhibiting you have to do you have to be doing the one in order to be able to teach you cannot continue to teach if you're not exhibiting Mm. as a practicing artist yeah thinking back now to like my lecturers and stuff they were always like active whether it was like actually practicing and showing or whether it was like uh writing or or you know reviewing or being part of the judging panel or or whatever so I think, well, it's something, yeah, I mean, y- your your practice isn't always defined by, like, the work that you make. It's also, like, the th- the things that you do. Like, it's, exactly. it's, it's the exhibitions you have. It's the, you know, like, I mean, I did uh, talks at university. I did, like, a bit of teaching. But, like, this is super important. Or, like, maybe some random person has like written an article about or featured you somehow in something i think that totally counts well i think that's your bibliography have to have like a yeah a record of that well like right now i do this thing i do these uh, portfolio reviews online for Uh lensculture.com great fun very interesting a little stressful sometimes but it's anonymous oh okay that's interesting. So I do the reviews, and the people who receive the reviews don't know who they're from, like mm-hmm. literally at all. So like, is so, that good or bad? Well, well that's all. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about that in a second. But the the problem is, is that like I can't tell anybody basically, like, hey, I do the, yeah, yeah. because they're anonymous. So like, I have a, a I've literally done like. 3,000 portfolio reviews in the past three years. I, I recently looked at my numbers. Like, so I've literally done 3,000 reviews. But nobody knows that I've done any portfolio reviews in the world. Yeah. Because they're anonymous. So, so I've done this work and I've gotten paid for this work, but it has not helped my career in any way, even though I have been incredibly influential mm-hmm. in many other people's careers to help them grow and do better things. But nobody knows that I've done that because I've done this anonymous work. Yeah. I'm, I'm, well, you can like list our review for Lens Culture for whatever years. Well, yeah, but, no, but then what, none of them are actually like findable or accessible or usable or like, or, and the people don't know. That's right. But that's the thing yeah. is the people that I have influenced have no idea who I am or that I'm the one that wrote it. It's just like the way the world is like now. It, well, and that's like, what I'm getting I, to. I work in tourism and tours are sold without knowing who I am or like the company that I work with or, or what this just sold as, oh, this experience. Yes. So for those people listening on Spaga, so you do, so for a living, you, some of the, the income you do is through doing tour guide work here in Prague. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Historical tour guide, basically. Um, I also work with schools and do workshops and kind of more like creative stuff. It's kind of ticking. It's nice. It's a good transition, which I kind of fell into, which is, uh, I mean, 
I've always been in two minds about this. Like, is my creativity for sale? Uh, I mean, as a painter, you make stuff and then sell it, hopefully. But is my creativity for sale, like, in this idea that, you know, my... Uh, like, I have a friend, for example, who works as a, um, like, illustrator. And their their entire creative energy is just spent on this, like work for someone else kind of thing so I've been I've been kind of tentatively and I I've done work in teaching and stuff before but this it's nice it's like bringing together guiding and art uh, but then as well if you want to be I think if you want to be like a serious artist you shouldn't be doing workshops for kids like on one hand like on the other hand where did you get that theory I think, well, I think everybody does, but I think if you want to be like, uh, I don't know, it's like just speaking to people. Like, I mean, if you have too many feathers in your cap, it's like you do everything kind of badly or like not committed. It's like, how do you define yourself? Am I a tour guide? Am I a painter? Am I a workshop facilitator? Like, does the fact that I facilitate workshops for kids uh make me less of a professional ivory tower oil painter you know is being a professional ivory tower oil painter what you want i don't know i'm pretty happy doing doing a bit of everything to be honest well i mean there's the issue of like jack of all trades master of none yeah, yeah, and, yeah. The, and then there's also the, the but there's the point of like but then there's also like the the renaissance guy who's like does a bit of everything and it's kind of well it keeps it fresh you know when I get it sick does. of painting, I've, I've got this. When I get sick of doing this, it's, yeah. Well, I mean, in this day and age, there's sort of the, the, the gosh, the, the sort of the flexibility, the winds of change that happen so much. Like if you put all your eggs in one basket and literally just do one thing and like maybe it's popular now and maybe you can make a lot of money from it now, but maybe you won't be able to in five or ten years. Yeah, absolutely. So like, then you're screwed. If you literally put like said, let's say I'm going to be an ivory tower painter and, and maybe your work is popular now, but maybe not in 10 years. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. No. So like you need, we all need to have a couple things in our basket to, to be able to. This is why I'm kind of committing more time to this and pushing more time to this. Like despite, I know I'm like contradicting myself, but like it's, it's all a contradiction anyway. So it just do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, so like with the with the kids, for example, uh, they do like various challenges and tasks, and it like for me it really ticks this like kind of pedagogue teacher box thing that like I kind of it gives me so I feel like I'm actually doing something useful and like and I enjoy it. I enjoy working with these people. I enjoy when they enjoy it. You know, so this is like real kind of nice. And I mean, on the flip side of sitting, you know, here in the studio. It's a nice kind of duality. And I love I think, teaching. I'm a big fan of teaching. I think if this as well, and it all boils down to this thing, it's like you need to earn money to survive. And if this is a way that you can do it and you can do something kind of fun and interesting and that can support your practice and your practice can support this, there's no reason it can't be. Well, not uh, only that, but there's the, there's the give and take of being a teacher because like I found... 
a lot of times when I taught like younger students, and I don't mean by age, I mean by experience, like newer students to the arts that uh, oftentimes I loved their like naivete, like they didn't, they didn't know enough to know what they couldn't do. And they would come Mm -hmm. up with the most magical things that you're like, that I've been in the, the industry for so long that I just sort of took it for granted, like, oh, you can't do that. And then they just walk in there like, why not? Yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah. like, um, because that's what I've been told for decades that you can't. Oh, wait, you're yeah, right. You can. Like, oh. Yeah, so, it's true. Uh, yeah, it keeps it fresh. Like, I mean, they come at stuff from a different angle. And kids now, like, they have totally different training, let's say, to to like what I had. Different upbringing, different things available, different different backgrounds. It's, it's always fun to meet people and see their point of view. Yeah, I love students. I think they're great. They, I mean, they, they, they refresh me. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's funny. I had this debate with an old friend of mine who was, she was also a teacher. Okay, so the two teachers, and we're both looking at classrooms. And I always said, I love going in the classroom because of what the students can then offer me back. Basically, yeah, yeah. so what do I get from them? What do I learn from them? How do I see things differently because of having interacted with them? And she was all about that her role was to tell them what to do. And that it was a one way street. So like she was the teacher, they were the student and they learned from her period. And I was always like, well, but teaching should be fun both ways. Yeah, like, yeah, I should enjoy kind of receptive. it. Like, I, th- I think that's the kind of person you are like, uh, not like you specifically, but kind of uh, like some people like feel their role is, is different and that will influence like the way that they act. Well, one thing I've learned in my life is that under no circumstances am I some sort of role model. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, between, right. <laughs> between my, my drug addiction, my like all kinds of stupid shit I've done in my life, like I am in no way a role model. Now, I have certain aspects of my life that I may be able to do better than other people or I have more, simply have more experience than other people in and I can therefore pass that knowledge on or techniques or whatever on. But, like, but I am not to be looked up to. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am as... Uh, vulnerable and as as easily whatever screwed up as everybody else. So like I am not better than anybody else. I'm different for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we all are. Different and, what... and wiser as well. Like I mean, wise in the sense that you you've uh, had certain experiences and that has changed you and the way that you. Boy, if experiences gave wisdom, stuff. I would be very wise. But unfortunately, they're not. Like, because yeah. a lot of my experiences were basically like, "Oh yeah, don't do that." Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't be yeah. driving down the highway while trying to snort cocaine. It's yeah, a bad idea. It's a terrible you know? idea. Yeah, this is it. I mean, I'm no role model. Seriously. I would... So, but so like, I don't see teaching as the idea of me being a role model. I, I'm a. I always saw teaching as a good teacher is somebody who can basically sort of show you a path or open a door or yeah, be a guide. For me, I try but to for them. Like facilitate ideas. Yeah, facilitator. Try Great and word. get them, uh, just get them to ask questions and like be self-reflective, be be present and like involved in whatever it is. It's got to be fun. And like often, like I learn stuff sometimes, you know, if I've had a school for a few days and like you're saying bye, you're like, oh, my students. You know, so you, you do kind of get this, uh, but I, it's got to be beneficial. Uh, I, I enjoy it. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's it's good for me, and I'm trying to kind of push it more now. Because for me, with like, I mean, this is the thing, like you said earlier, that stuff's always changing. The industry's always changing. Like tourism now in Prague's uh, 
particularly, it's going to go through a couple of big changes this year. And it seems to be the time to start doing this um, more of the workshops and activities and things, which is kind of a cool job. I mean, I get to go like whitewater rafting with kids and I'm at work like that's great, right? Wait, seriously? You're doing a whitewater rafting tour? Oh, no, I, I'm not. Well, I do, but I don't. I will guide it and like facilitate okay, it. Like, I want to do that. I love whitewater yeah, rafting. <laughs> like, I mean, you have a group of kids. Uh, they're all like super. They they come for like a you know school school trip. It's part of school. It's called uh, CAS Creativity Activity Service. The idea is they have like different challenges that they have to do. And all these challenges have to be somehow related to being either creative, active, or service-based. So for example, like uh, the creative stuff, I mean, I I, uh, do a drawing workshop. I'm working on like a mad mural painting workshop where you're like using mops and like uh, the garden spray bottles and like all this like crazy uh, whatever Uh, activity, like yeah, rafting, Uh, we do all kind of, and service as well we do like work with the homeless and things and it's like it's good fun to be part of that I mean some you think like you must have some good memories when you were younger you're going on school holidays with all your friends and you have your like summer romance and it's all cool and every day you're doing something different so it's kind of like this is uh super useful for me it's like I I love to be part of that the thing that I heard out of that was is that it's it's um, that youthfulness also. It's, it's sort of a reminder. Yeah, this kind of, of like nice, some... beautiful, naive. I mean, like I always get myself trapped in this like, you know, taking myself way too seriously, which on one hand you have to do. But then on the other hand, like, why not play? It's like, well, oh, and, you know, and fuck being, it all, let's go. Well, but, and being an adult and having the responsibility yeah, of an adult and all this kind adulting. of stuff. That, like, most of us as creative people, we don't want that. Like, we chose to be in the creative yeah, industries because yeah. we don't want to be adults. And we I, want to be Peter Pan. Please let I, me stay there. I really have been forgetting that kind of recently. And like, uh, you know, you just... Rather than actually, you know, do fun, stupid things like you should be doing, uh, you well, I just drink way too much whiskey or, or whatever and go into this like self-contained ball. So to be actually place myself into these situations where I'm kind of, you know, the facilitator of this like experience is kind of like it's fun for me you know and uh and i think this kind of comes through in your practice you i i guess you know psychologically you always go through like good times bad times whatever it may be maybe it's outside influence maybe it's nothing you just kind of feel shit for like a month or whatever it's winter um, yeah Season, guess, seasonal, seasonal affected disorder well, I don't know if something happened yesterday and uh, I was just having so much fun. Like in here, I just got a bit weird. Yesterday was a beautiful day, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was pretty sunny. I don't know what it was. I rearranged, I feng shui'd my studio slightly and I guess hoovered slightly, but whatever it was, yesterday was a That's awesome vacuuming day. for Americans. Yeah, Hoover. I guess it was that the name of the brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Googled it. Right? Correct. Yes. Like search engine versus Google. Yes. Mr. Hoover. Do you have those in the US? This <laughs> is totally relevant. Hoovers? Yeah. No. Well, no, but you know the Henry, the little kind of red, red thing. It looks like a little elephant. It's got a little face on Henry Hoover. No. No. Oh, Google it. Okay. Well, we have lots of, I mean, Kleenex, Xerox, you know, these are all the yeah, same kind yeah, of yeah. things. Same where brand that, ah, photocopier Xerox. Correct. 
Yeah, I'm learning my uh, U.S. vocabulary. Oh no, they're just branded vocabulary. That's yeah, not yeah. U.S. It's just yeah, but like if corporate you, branding. I mean, I wouldn't really know Xerox. I think maybe. Well, only now, but yeah, I think exposure to different. Uh, the thing is, as well, these schools—they're international schools from all over the world. So sometimes you have kids from the Middle East, and they're so different. You know, some normally incredibly privileged and like very kind of weird. I've sometimes you have schools with uh, some of the kids have like like private security that kind of follow them around. You know, whoever likes you know uh, kids of diplomats and whatever, and they. Uh, one, of, one of my students in the Middle East was actually the granddaughter of the sheikh of the United Arab yeah, Emirates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that yeah, was hey, the, these, we had a grand, granddaughter, though. So yeah. like a Muslim woman was my student. And all my students, were. I, I taught at a university in the UAE that was all female. Yeah. So all my students were Muslim students, and they were all female. And so that was a very unique experience. Yeah, there yeah. was a lot of cultural nuances that I was unaware of before moving there that I'm now uber aware of. <laughs> like a great experience us. I had was on one of my one of my schools. There was this uh, girl, and she was from uh, Nepal. Like the school, mm. they were a uh, I think they were Swiss. The school, but they have this thing where they sponsor some kid from like from the middle of nowhere in Nepal. Uh, to fly them out, give them like you know, top top education, very well respected school, and they all all paid for. It. And they they brought her to Prague, and she was awesome. She was like um, every single thing that she did, she was so like uh, thankful and grateful for these like experiences. And she she just and she was yeah, she was great, and it really made me kind of consider. And she was saying stuff like. You know, I have to wake up at five o'clock and I walk three miles to get water to bring back for my, you know, my mom to make us some rice. Like, and this is reality for her. And then uh, on the flip side are these like in incredibly wealthy, like, uh, uh, Swiss kids. Uh, yeah. Well, we're all yeah, of the entitlement generation at this point, but like there are certain places in the world where they don't have that entitlement. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, the... I don't know, I guess it would be called first world countries or whatever, like developed countries, I guess. The, the, I mean, we're, we're all very entitled and I'm as guilty of it as anybody else. Like I will, you know, I, years ago I came to this realization that when I left school, I thought my life would be the same as my parents' life mm -hmm. when I w was born. Mm -hmm. Well, but my parents didn't have me until they were out of school and like 10 years later. So like, or, or like when I, when I graduated college, I thought I would have the same life that my parents had when I graduated college. Mm -hmm. So like, I thought I should be sort of starting from the same base that they were. Where I got this idea, I have no idea, but yeah. like, but, it, it, but my generation cannot afford to buy a house. Like it's just not happening. It, housing prices are really tough. I mean, they're going up here as well, but like, but it's tough. I mean, but you, it's, I it's, think it's, it's that sense of like where your parents were, you would like to think you could start from there, the foundation of where mm -hmm. they were and then build on that. But the reality is, is like, we have to start our own lives and our own yeah, careers from, from lower 
than where they are now, you know, and, and so like we have to build our own lives and I mean, theoretically, hopefully we'll build better, bigger, whatever, more successful lives. But, but that sense of entitlement that like mm -hmm. we all grew up with the privilege that our parents had and the, the whatever that they had. And we think that we should be equal to that right out of the gate. And it doesn't work like that. Like we have to make our own lives. I'm like single parent family working class guy. I might be like straight white British dude who's theoretically like top of the game, but like working class really. So I guess that mentality or like having having nothing like as growing up, like my mum couldn't afford from the age of 16, I was working, like, uh, you know, if I needed new clothes or whatever, like, oh, I wanted a car, right? When you're 17, you, you want a car and you want to learn to drive. So if, if you you do that, so I kind of, it, I guess it gave me this uh, respect for money and respect for work. But then at the same time, the older I've got, uh, it's given me a respect for time as well. So it's, again, this time versus money. Yes, I'm... I would much rather have more time than money. This, yeah, and like the older I get as well is like, oh, t uh, take my money, but like don't take my time. So we were discussing the idea that whether or not you should be sort of altering your work for easier sell like to make mm. it pretty to sell it easier or do you stay true to your your personal beliefs and your ideas uh, regardless of sales uh valid point i think like i think my work's quite commercial anyway but i don't make it to be commercial i do it because i like making it okay but I'm not locked into. Like, I'm going to disagree with that uh, right yeah, off the bat because there's this old thing. I don't know. I heard this years ago. It's basically like if you made artwork just for yourself, you would never show it to anybody. So by the simply by the act of even showing your work to somebody else, you want approval or whatever acceptance for the work, etc. So. Any artist that says, oh, I only do my work yeah, for myself yeah. is bullshit. Yeah, it's true. Like you want some form so of acceptance, bullshit. whether it's people buying it, people exhibiting it, people simply just appreciating it. It's not just for you. I, I remember my, f my degree show, like, and this is the first time I'd made like, I don't know, seven like big paintings that I'd spent a long time on. And I, I got them all up there on the wall and I did not want to be in the room. Like the private view, I was like, I just smashed like three glasses of wine and left. I couldn't be there. It was so stressful. And so like now I'm kind of more used to it, like the more I've done. And I guess like you're always seeking some kind of approval, whether it be or some kind of recognition, you know, somebody to say like, oh, that's, uh, well, not like, oh, I like it, but you know, something kind of more meaningful. It's like, this is the life I've chosen to make, make paintings and, and a part of that is showing it. And part of that is, uh, engaging with like, uh, viewers, collectors, gallerists and whatever. And it's kind of part of the whole game. I think you can't detach these things. I mean, I think I, I do, 
in, in a, I paint for myself in the sense that it's like um, like therapy. Like I really enjoy, you know, coming to the studio, blast my music, pick up a paintbrush, get weird, like, w- you know, work out your demons, whatever's like stressing you out. It's one of those things, you know, I can walk into the studio and I, I really need a pee and then I pick a brush and start working and then like, Five hours later, I stand back, I light a cigarette, I'm like, shit, I really need to pee. So it's like, it's kind of detaches your mind and your brain. And like, for me, that is super useful, especially like, I'm quite self-critical and give myself a hard time. And like, just life is ridiculous. So for me, it's great therapy to come and just just do whatever the hell I want, you know, in here. Um, well, but in the end, is it, is it really whatever the hell you want? Like, this is because this is one of those things that, like, as a career goes, do you ever sit back and look at your work and go, okay, I've got a new canvas. I can do anything I want. Literally, it's a blank canvas. Now, in the past, these things have sold. These mm-hmm. things that were done in this color sold better than these things in these other colors. These subject matters have sold better than these other subject matters. Do you ever take those things into consideration when you start a new project? I think, yeah, sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, certainly, because, like, I mean, when you sell a painting, you just feel awesome, right? I mean, it's, it's great. Uh, and, like, you kind of know, you know, what, what people like, like certain color schemes, for example, are just like very commercial, like, uh, and then some are not, some are quite, it's this idea of a work being, yeah, aesthetically pleasing, like saying before, you know, would you hang uh, a, like an aggressive piece on your wall or like a, something that made you feel a bit uneasy? I think like you would, and I think good art can do that like yes but the question is is what i mean there's there's a difference between like people buying them which many people buy and put in storage or many institutions buy and put on display or whatever but the question is is like would somebody buy it and put in their living room and i and i feel like like i have a personal thing you know going back to my training and my background and probably my parents and my my mother being an interior decorator and all this kind of stuff that you you I find it the highest form of flattery if somebody buys a piece of my artwork and puts it in their daily lives. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. That is the absolute highest. A, they pay me money for it. Great form of flattery. B, they put it in a place that they see it and yeah, experience it yeah. every day. Second highest form of flattery. So you want to, I feel like you just need to make something that's to a certain extent aesthetically pleasing enough that people want to and or are willing to or able to appreciated on a daily basis without being confronted by it on a daily basis i think uh yeah yeah however uh like for example i have a piece of work like an, a pretty painting let's say or like i think it's a pretty solid painting like hanging in my apartment above the tv uh and it's like you know pleasing colors, interesting marks, quite like a little bit free, but like, and you look at it, I know it's mine, so it's maybe different, but like you look at it every day and you get kind of sick of it. Also a painting, not only is it gotta be kind of nice to look at, but it's also gotta kind of make you think a little bit or make make you want to interact with it in some way. Right, but you used a word that I'm gonna differentiate with. I said aesthetically pleasing, you said pretty. 
Yeah. Pretty to me Different. is a bad word. Yeah. Like yeah, that, that's bad like word. saying something's decorative. Yeah. <laughs> like, so like the word pretty, I would agree. Pretty is just pretty. I mean, you can buy pretty at IKEA. Like that, <laughs> that's fine. Okay, yeah. But I, I'm saying just like aesthetically pleasing because it should have something more behind it. Like I've got my parents have a piece of uh, this guy Tim Jones, very good friend of mine. Beautiful, very somber, dark, heavy mm. piece. Still aesthetically pleasing but has an emotional gravitas to it that I think is compelling. I think by its nature, painting is aesthetically pleasing. Like the, the, the I think qualities. you're biased on that, but that's fine. No, but the qualities of paint, like, uh, you know, it's like seductive and, and material and colorful, you know, it's all like wavelengths. And it's like, um, what, uh, I heard recently, great point, um, you know, flowers are pretty and colorful and smell nice, but it it's, has a function, and that function is to attract, like, bees. And in, like, a similar way, like, painting, by its very nature, is colorful and seductive and, and beautiful and visually stimulating because of what it is, because it's, it's designed to kind of attract the viewer somehow, whether that is... Yeah, it goes. It's like music. It's, it's all you know, wavelengths, right? And so, well, yeah, I mean, it, is, it, it, well, equating the, my idea of like a, a a piece of art should somehow be aesthetically pleasing in order to then attract a viewer in to then make them think of something more profound, let's mm-hmm. say, or feel yeah, something yeah. or emote something. Music is a great sort of synonym for that, which is basically you're not going to listen to something that sounds horrible because it has great poetry and its words mm. because it sounds like crap it, it has turned you away so now you're not going to engage in that music and maybe it had some great profound lyrics to it but the music has turned you away so in the same way i feel like a piece of art should have some aesthetic pleasing to draw you in to then discuss something more compelling profound you know conceptual whatever you want under that but when a piece of art is not however you want to deem it aesthetically pleasing or not pleasing, you know, it could be colors or compositions or subject matter or whatever. Once you sort of create that barrier to entry, people are not willing to go farther into the profoundness or the the meaning behind it or the concept of it in the same way of music. So that's my position. Like there has to be, it's not that like all art has to be pretty because, well, I hate the word pretty, so I shouldn't say it. Not all art has to be aesthetically pleasing, but the more aesthetically pleasing it is, the more there's the potential for more engagement. Yeah, yeah, it's got to have this kind of, like, invitation, you know. A balancing act. Like, something that's overly pretty or overly aesthetically pleasing becomes decorative and pretty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there has to be that nice balance of, like, strong concept while something drawing the viewer in. There's like, for example, if you go into uh, like a gallery, like a huge collection, you know, and you could be in there for like, I've been like mentioning no names, like good friend of mine will go to a gallery and he will like stand in front of every painting for like at least 10 minutes and try to get some meaning and try and understand and like fine, whatever. But for me, I very much like now, I mean, I look at pictures all day, right? So if I walk into a gallery, I kind of like, run around and then I'll go back. It's like, yeah, that one, why that one, why? Like, it is always interesting. I I wonder have this. 
Well, it's like, I wonder, like, so when a, a buyer goes into, let's say, let's call it a gallery or, a, mm-hmm. you know, a commercial gallery of some sort, a place where you can buy artwork. When, it, when a, a collector goes in versus an artist, like, how do they look at it differently? You know, because, like, I know curators, they'll go in and they'll look at it like, would I exhibit this? You know, is, is, is that, is it worth the price? Like they're, they're, they're looking at different characteristics of things. Mm-hmm. Like when I f- first go in and see a thing, I'm always, you know, the question is, what am I looking for? Yeah, it's true. I mean, I, I don't know. I hope to kind of find out, like, I, like I say, if you walk into a show, you, you run around and like a few of them grab you, you're not quite sure why, but then you spend a bit of time to hopefully try and work out why. But Again, like I go in as a painter, right? And I find myself like looking at the corners, you know, it's like, oh, you fucked that up, you know, like, oh, I, I would not be, you know, I would not exhibit that. Oh, that's painted on a piece of shit canvas or that's, you know, or whatever it may be. But I go in as like a practitioner, and I look at it like that. But then this, you're looking for what grabs you. And I think you can't really design a piece I think in a certain way you can. You can design a piece to draw in the viewer, whether it be with the colors or the subject or whatever it is. But I think as well a lot of it is left to chance. And like you may have a great idea that in your brain is like great and then you like vomit it onto a piece of canvas. You're like, oh, no, maybe not. Well, there's also a lot of times where you'll make something in the studio and in the studio you're like, oh, my God, this is magnificent. And then you put it into a gallery and it's just lost. Like mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't succeed as well because of the the environment it's even being placed in. Because like not all art looks good in every location. Yeah, yeah, and it's relationship to other stuff like uh, or nothing. Like I'm thinking the white cubes of a of a gallery kind of thing. Like there's nothing there, and so like it simply isolated. has to be strong enough to draw attention to it and be compelling when there's nothing to relate to. Mm. And that that's a very different thing than like in a studio or in somebody's living room. This is something I was kind of writing about the other day because I'm working on a show. So I'm like painting a show basically. But then ultimately all the pieces, they exist on their own. You know, they've got to, but then as well, there's got to be a certain harmony within the space. So it's like, uh, yeah, again, asking like r- ridiculous questions, but I guess it's what it's all about. Like, Trying to design I resent a that. This is not ridiculous questions. No, These are I, serious I know. I'm questions. not saying right, ridiculous, ridiculous, but you know what I mean. Like, this. Uh, anyway. well, there are questions that just don't have any yeah, answers. Yeah, well, it's about the discussion, isn't it? It's yeah. not about the answer. Uh, but like, so I'm kind of like, oh, do I paint that because it's not gonna, like, what's the relationship to that? Or, the, I, and I think the most genuine way of doing it is just do what you think and then like make a selection because no i find as well like when you're in the process of making a series of works you don't really know what you're aiming for or whatever but after you've done and you look at it like retrospectively and like look it kind of makes sense and you see like oh you know this actually communicates with this and this community so it's like just kind of get on with it like be aware of these questions but don't dwell on it it's like it's not the time for questions like don't, or don't give yourself a hard time with the questions. Well, but the, your conversation yeah, here just the brought up a thing. Point? <laughs> no, no, no. But you brought up a point of the the working in a series. Now, yeah, now, yeah, I come yeah. up as a photography background, and and in photography, this is a they big thing. they mandated yeah. that you have to work in a series. Like that's what it's, you you make a body of work and you present the portfolio, the series, whatever you want to call it. 
I always picture painters as like it's a standalone thing. You make mm-hmm. a painting, the painting's great. And then like when you do an exhibition, it's just basically a series of individual paintings that don't necessarily relate to each other. But it seems like it's becoming more and more common that even painters will work on a series of paintings. Yeah, I, I normally do. I find as well, because maybe if you've got all these ideas, right? And you can't put them all onto one canvas because it like, it actually loses it. And like, again, with this, like the, you know, you're walking around a gallery and some pieces will grab you, some will not. It's, and if you have all these ideas, sometimes you can't like show what you want to in one piece. Maybe it's a relationship between two or three different ones, or maybe this yeah. one idea is broader than one canvas. But beyond that, generally, like that first exhibition, when you complete that series of work and you put that exhibition up, after that, they will probably never be seen together again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely true. So like on on the flip side, it has to work as an independent piece. Right. Like it has to have something and some kind of discussion. I mean, you can like, when I, I've curated, but I wouldn't say I'm a curator, uh, but you can like put works together. Like if you have five paintings, it kind of, the process of elimination, you can kind of work out what goes where and how this works with that and blah, blah, blah. It kind of sorts itself out. And But to take the time to make that decision and place the works in this particular way or whatever, uh, it shows some kind of thought behind it's not like randomly thrown on a wall. There's got to be these questions uh, to be asked, like with how they, and if at the at the time when you're making the work, if you can be aware that it's got to work together, but then also it has to stand alone. Like how how does it speak? How, uh, how does it speak? You know, in itself, and then how does it converse with what is around it? Whether that be other work and like for example I never never frame my works very very rarely because this is this is something and I mean there's like loads of you talk about this forever but I never frame them because for me like the collector will frame them to match their curtains right it's true you know this is I'm of the school that I believe you should frame well but I come from photography so Uh like it was sort of mandatory to frame it because like a photograph is not finished until it's framed basically like otherwise it's just a piece of paper on the wall Mm -hmm. so it was sort of mandatory in my industry to to frame to show it's completed and it's done and but yeah i've noticed this trend in the past maybe five ten years that like less and less painters are framing their works to be put into exhibitions Mm -hmm. because I always hated how much money I had to spend to buy frames and do all this stuff to present my photographs when painters could just bring their painting in with no frames and just show it. And I'm like, God damn it. Well, I've always been so like to uh, people say like, Oh, why don't you at least paint the sides white or black? No, I would not do that. Because that's a two dimensional image. Like uh, the sides, I mean, it's, it's whatever you want it to be. It's a record of the process, maybe some marks, whatever. But like, I wouldn't. I would never do that. I have framed stuff very simple, black. Well, a, believe... little, a little strip of wood around it, even just like shows it's like. There's something about the the process of putting a frame around something that says, "I'm done, done with it." Yeah, yeah. yeah, done and never going to be retouched. Uh-huh. Like 
that's that thing because like when I see paintings that are not framed, I assume the artist basically it's not finished. It's not done. Yeah, they're not. They're gonna take it back if it doesn't sell, and they're gonna rework it because it, it didn't sell for whatever reason. So yeah, putting a frame to me for me says finished. I think yeah. Well, I guess for you, do it like photography background. Like for me, uh, when when I varnish it, it's done. You know, cause you can't you can remove varnish and retouch it, but it's like finished varnish sign date yeah but the general public when they see a piece they don't they don't go oh look that's lovely varnish on it like most people don't even know there is varnish on it most people that walk into art galleries and stuff but then as well like i rework paintings i think like uh, i de-stretch de throw them away you know like uh, bring them back out like flip them because you don't frame them because that's why yeah, exactly. I mean, well, maybe for maybe it's some deep-seated thing whereby, like, as soon as I've framed it, it's like it's just done. done. That's right, finished. That's what it's supposed to be. That's why you frame things. Yeah, but why? Why does it have to be finished? Well, but if you put it in an exhibition, it's finished. Like, I mean, I know that ex as much as every other artist, that an exhibition is not does not necessarily mean finished. It just means finished at that moment. Like basically, like it's a it's a stopping point, being saying this is where I am right now. However, I will keep working. So like it's not a an absolute, but I feel like at least when you put when you put work up for sale. So I mean, like, there's a big difference between like having an exhibition versus putting it for sale. So like if you put it somewhere in a gallery or a space or whatever that ha that has a price tag on it, I feel like it should have a frame. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be an expensive frame, but just a frame oh, that just says done. I think it can't be a piece done. of shit frame as well. It, it's horrendous. I'm trying to be polite yeah, about yeah, yeah. that. You know? but yeah, I mean, because a frame completes it. Because also there's there's something about the frame that like it, you, you, can, you can enhance the work with oh, a beautiful yeah, frame. Yeah, 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 really. I mean, like, like your pieces, like I'm thinking some of your interior ones. If you put a big gold Rococo yeah. frame on that or a Baroque frame or whatever, it would elevate the work yeah, in a way that time. no frame, it's sort of like, eh. I, yeah, I've considered this and it's always like uh, on the cards. Like, uh, but I think... It's tough. Well, the, the hard part, okay, but the hard part about this is the expense. Because mm -hmm. what, what we're saying is like, you already have to buy all this canvas. You already, already have to buy all this paint. You already have to put all this time in. And then the idea that you have to then pay for in advance with no guarantee of, a, of return on investment, buy a custom frame for this. Mm -hmm. I hate that art people, artists, whatever, we are we are obligated to throw a ton of money into these things with the hope and a prayer that we will someday get a return on that amount of money. We're expected to do that. Yeah, it's true. I mean, they're not cheap. Like, I make big oil paintings and they're, like, my brushes are really expensive. You know, like, I have a tube of red paint that costs nearly 100 euros. You know, like, uh, this is the way it is. Uh, I think, like, for me, I mean, framing is always a question. I love the idea of a frame, and I love, like, kind of the concept, what you can do with it. And but I think these would look good with a nice, like, gold Rococo kind of thing. I like, think so. That would look. Now, those, no. Hmm? That, I think the interior ones, if you could find an interior frame that's almost like it's as though it were in the painting mm -hmm. itself, I think that would, those be stunning 
but yeah, it's something I'm actually thinking about last night. I've got a load of pictures of uh, frames like that one. I'll turn it around after, but it's uh, yeah, like again a, that a you all can't see, but it's fine. Paint, uh, paint inception, paintings within paintings within, and it's kind of like a, I don't know. I'm enjoying it. I'm having fun with it. Uh, but yeah, framing, big thing. Like I say, I've always been of the thought, it's not my decision. I think if uh, the collector wants to have it framed to to match their interior or to enhance, and I am a believer that a good frame can really enhance an artwork. Well, and that's uh, sort of my point. Also, it, it, it sort of shows to the buyer the potential of what it could look like. Because the thing about most buyers, or at least my opinion of most buyers, which I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this, but like they can't envision what it could look like. Like that's yeah, not their job. There is this, but I think, uh, I think. So it's your job as the creative person to say, show. this yeah. is the way I believe it should look. If you'd like to change it, that's fine. That's your, your opinion, your living room, wherever it's going to go to match it. But, but like you, you should offer them a vision of a completed piece by completing it with a frame. If they want to change it, that's up to them, but you I mean you know build the price of the frame into the cost. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. In the well, end, I mean, I mean you don't lose frame it and then double. But then again, like I mean, big piles of paintings everywhere, uh, and also I break frames. Like I've had a few frames, but like seriously, you have like a lovely frame, and I, yeah, you scuff the corner, and then you're like, oh, well, you God. just need to get a little more professional with your handling of your pieces How once they've you. been framed. Then. How dare you, Matthew? <laughs> no, I'm just clumsy. I mean, it happens. I do it all the time. I, I've got countless. Yeah. I mean, my entire career is littered with broken frames. So, okay. Last little bit advice, anything that you've learned over your life that like my idea is this is based with asking for advice. It's like, are there any mistakes that you made in your career that you're, if you could go back, you know, 15 years, say like, Hey, don't do me, you know, future me, don't do this or you know, this was good, do more of that. I've had a few, like, so, like bad luck, right? Uh, which you can't control. Like, for example, you know, I shipped a large painting to California and on the way it got snapped in half, right? Because it wasn't wrapped super duper well. But it's like, do, I don't know, do, do stuff to the best of your ability. Whatever that may be, like I yeah, mean, but when it comes to shipping, though, overpack yeah. always. Overpack. Oh yeah, yeah, like, absolutely. I mean, I was I was distraught, and also it made it made me look like an idiot, you know, because my painting had broke. Obviously, the collector was pissed. Obviously, Saatchi was pissed. Uh, in the end, like I had to pay for it to be fixed, and I had to fit the bill. But like, if I, you know, would have. It's a weird one because I didn't wrap it as well, so it's not even my fault. But still, you have to like just I don't know cover yourself for acts of God in in whatever circumstance that may be. But if you yeah I don't know prepared have a plan. I don't know advice wise like actually that was great. Be prepared and have a plan. Like those are good advice in and of itself. Expect the unexpected. Be ready for everything. I don't know. It's, it always boils down to just get on with it. Just keep, keep pushing, you know, keep, keep producing work, keep, uh, keep it up, keep 
keep it relevant, keep it interesting, keep it fresh, keep, uh, you know, making the time to research, keep applying for stuff, keep going, be present, be engaged, you know, keep, keep at it. I mean, because if you don't take yourself seriously, then who's going to take you seriously? You know? That's... But there also is a point of taking yourself too seriously. Oh, yeah, big time. <laughs> Yeah, so take yourself seriously enough. Yeah, to some extent. I guess I'm kind of like selfishly lost in my own stuff, which is like the reason that I became a fine artist. Absolutely. Know? We are all egotistical and we are don't, all selfish. I don't know selfish. what I'm striving for, but I'm striving for it. <laughs> we're, stri- we're striving for financial freedom. We're striving for time. We're striving for the ability to just do what we do and people respect, admire, or appreciate what we do. That's what we want. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, last quick question then. If you had the choice, and these are your only two choices, okay. you either are famous, but never, but only, but your fame is limited. So in other words, you, you can be famous, but you won't earn a living from it or you could earn a living for your the rest of your life but never be famous which would you choose earn a living and not be famous i think yeah i mean i've never i don't need to be the center of attention or in the spotlight or whatever but i mean the ability to do whatever you want whenever you want is pretty awesome right what about you my younger self would have chosen fame. Fame. So you go for the... But now, being older and being in a different place in my life and my career, I would now choose the consistent income. Yeah. But my younger self, egotistic, I remember even saying this to my teachers when I was in grad school. I said, I said my goal of being an artist is to be in the art history book. I want to be an example of a movement or a style or whatever. I want to be, you know, a, 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 a person who pushed something in some way that changed art history. That's what I wanted to do. Now, I just want the space, the time, and the freedom to be able to be as creative as I can be without limitations. For me, I guess similar. Like, uh, I always like painted and drew and like was creative because I enjoyed it and it was fun and it's something that I've always done uh and then as a kind of a side effect you soon learn that like you have to there's this whole like ego side that goes with it and you have to I mean what are what are you trying to do are you trying to like build yourself and become famous are you trying to I don't know just keep keep it going I I enjoy it. So whatever that is, then that's what it is. When I when I was in school, when I was an undergrad, I was originally studying psychology. So I was a psych oh, okay. major for two years, and then I and then the, my professors told me that I had to choose a, a sort of a style. So I had to be a Jungian or a Freudian or all this. And I said no. I didn't want to choose one. I liked all of them. I liked parts of all of them. They wouldn't let me do that. So I said, fine. So I left and I went and I studied, decided I was going to be a Native American studies major because I was okay. I was studying with a Cherokee shaman at the time. Beast. It was great fun. 
and uh, and I got to this new university, tran- you know, went all the halfway across the United States, and only for them to say, oh, okay, well, you're just going to have to start all over as a freshman. And I'm like, I'm not starting all over as a freshman. And they said, well, then you have to choose another degree. I said, fine, I'll be an artist. Solid. Literally. I, actually, the my verbiage was, fuck it, I'll be an artist. There you go. And that's how I became an artist, because basically the degree I wanted to earn wasn't available to me. Well, for me, it was like one of the only things that I was good at, kind of. Or like, like I say, with being like dyslexic, I could not do like history at a degree level, you know. I couldn't. So I'm not dyslexic not, and I not, couldn't do that. That's horrible. So I guess I Sorry, art historians. fell into it. But uh, it's great and it's terrible, isn't it? I went to school. I went to art school to be a teacher. Because, like, at the time, it was a pretty solid career move. I mean, you know, uh, it's pretty decent money. You get nice holidays. You're off all summer, right? And benefits. And I, Yeah, yeah. And uh, your salary kind of goes up. And then, and again, it's kind of nice. You get to spend time with the kids, and you kind of learn from them if you're susceptible to it. Um, but, I, and I worked in a school for, like, two years, and it basically just made me think, like, I do not want to be a teacher. It's, it's all the other like dog shit that goes along with being a teacher and be like all this like marking and lesson planning and all these hoops you jump in through all the time it's just like oh, oh it, my it's gotten God. worse i mean like yeah 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 mm. so like it just confirmed the fact that i did not want to teach and then it's like well now what well not only has it gotten worse because like the, the administrative work has gotten exceptionally more the hoops you have to jump through have to become more but also the the um and in this country, it's not well paid. Oh yeah, in this country, it's horribly paid. But well, but then there are also the, the aspects of that. Tenure is going away, so there's less and less opportunities for a tenured position. So the security of teaching is is becoming less and less, and a lot of universities and colleges are starting to see students more as customers. And so it's mm. more about student happiness than student learning. And so the, the balance of like more administrative work, less security, more about student enjoyment, these are all just recipes for bad experiences as teachers. I, f- I feel a lot of industries are moving in this way, like art included. It's And I think people nowadays are kind of more expected to be like a bit of a freelancer and do a bit of this, a bit of that, because like security of jobs is, is not great. And like your role is constantly changing. I think, I mean, I guess it still exists, but like... Um, you know, you go to work at a at a company and stay with them. It's like not really so much like that anymore, is it? My like, my my father worked for the same company for his entire career. Of course, yeah, he was a minister, so yeah. being a priest, they, it's pretty easy yeah, to do that's that. Fair enough. Yeah, but but I mean, he did that. Yeah, and I mean, I was raised around people who chose a career and they stayed with that career their whole lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and. It's not common these days to do that. I mean, I've, if you want to get technical, like I've probably gone through four careers already in my adult mm. life. And now I'm a podcaster and I'm and doing all this other stuff. And so, like, it seems like it's much more common to be 
able to transition from something to something to something to something that like it feels like careers are no longer A to B to C. Mm. They're A to like A2 and then maybe A3 and then try this over here, maybe that, and, and then maybe it'll come back around and you'll you'll come back to something later. It's and- all about, yeah, this kind of track record of experience. And I think you, you need to be able to, yeah, tr- yeah, try different things. It's great. And like build up experience and, and then apply that to stuff. Like really, like, Exactly, like the people surrounding me when I was younger, you know, go to work for Rolls Royce, and like they did that for like, you know, forty years, fifty yeah, and years, and every whatever. couple of years like, they get a raise. Yeah, and yeah, they, yeah. there and you go. Happy days, like great stuff. But I think a lot of stuff, and like in in like my field, I don't know, teaching tourism, art, it's all incredibly like fleeting and flexible, and and things are changing all the time. So you have to kind of adapt, and you have to. And like going back to, um, you know, the the kids are saying like, oh, I don't really need to know anything. I just need to know how to use information. And like, this is kind of how it is. And well, but like, I even, I even hear go. stories like. I hear stories about like lawyers and doctors and all these young, younger generation people still doing these, what I would just find as like very, very professional career jobs. And they jump from like a lawyer jumps from firm to firm to firm to firm. They don't stay with the same firm for their whole career. They don't build that up. They, they, they'll jump to the next one that gives them a better offer or better opportunities or whatever. Like there's a, a, a general thing in society these days. I feel like that, that, that you don't stay in one place mm. and just simply grow. You 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 need to transition, be, I don't know, be willing to, being able to try new things, expand, you know, you know uh, go different paths. You know, there's no, it doesn't, it, I don't feel like I see or hear anybody ever saying, I got this job right out of college and I'm going to stay with it until yeah, I retire. Yeah. Like you never even hear those conversations anymore. A friend of mine is, uh, he works with like computers and software and stuff. And like he was earning like a bit above minimum wage and he'd been working for the same company for like five years. Um, and then some other company like just contacted him. It's like, hey, uh, would you come work for us? Uh, we'll offer you like basically double. And then he was like, yeah. So he went to his boss and says, oh, you know, I've been given this offer. Um, I'm going to leave. And he's like, okay, we'll match it and add more. And it's like, so I just like inadvertently got like a massive raise. It's like they're not actually willing to give me a raise. But like as soon as, you know, my, yeah, I guess this is the way it is. My oh, yeah. My wife recently ran or... into this. The the Her boss actually had been offered a better job. And, and she went back to them and said, hey, they offered me this better job. And they, they said, oh, well, we'll match it. And she's like, well, but wait. But I was already here. I was already doing the same job. I was yeah. already qualified numbers you weren't gonna give me a raise until i'm leaving yeah and and (laughs) and i'm i'm worth this to some other company but you're not going to give it to me unless i basically threaten you like i mean i I feel like there's this yeah uh, career careers aren't what they used to be and Mm. and employers aren't what they used to be i mean trying to take this back to academia and all this kind of stuff like i mean the, the the security of things like this just don't exist anymore and the in the old days, like I remember hearing about, you know, like going up and building up to tenure. And I mean, I knew professors that were making a lot of money 
by the time they had been somewhere for 20 years. Yeah. Like they were making very good livings the later in their careers. But like these days they don't do it. Like I, when I was in the United Arab Emirates, they gave us a lot of money. They paid us ridiculously high amounts of money and there was legally mandated uh, increases. And there were some people that were making a ton of money. I mean, I'm talking hundreds of thousands of dollars a year that they were earning tax-free, of course, also because they were expats. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it was just ridiculous. But And that kind of stuff just doesn't really exist anymore because even when I was working in the United Arab Emirates, um, even though they, the, the base salary was great and the, the potential for growth was great, we had three-year contracts. Uh, and okay. so every three years, quite literally, they could fire us for no reason. They could just simply choose not to renew our contract. Mm -hmm. And that, so like no security. Well, it happened with, uh, like I was saying, my tutors and whatever. They were all like practicing and they're all very good. And like Loughborough went through this massive change. Like as I was kind of leaving... And they basically got rid of, like, cut out all the old wood. They sacked a bunch of staff. And basically because they, and from their point of view, they were saying, yeah, they, they, it's a business. They're looking at it from a business point of view. It's like, yeah, so how many books have you written that are published by us? Like, you know. Published or perish, yes. Exactly. So, uh, so a lot of them, um, yeah, they're kind of pushed out, really. And th these are the best tutors because these were the pro these were the practitioners. Oh, at one of my schools, the, they did this, a new new head of what a president of the school came in. It basically started with all full timers are fired now. Reapply for your job. <laughs> Literally, no. I mean, I'm being serious. Like that's exactly what they did. So, like all the teachers, even the ones that had been there for 20, 30 years, they were all fired and they had to reapply for their jobs. And that's just like, come on, there, there's something about that security that's important to Yes, certainly. I mean, in life, academia. Like, if you have a mortgage, for example, like you, you need security, right? Yeah. Like you need, but if I'm going to sign other side, some, they don't seem to care for 20 years, like I would hope that <laughs> I wouldn't do that unless I had the security. So I think people are faced with different challenges. And then, of course, on top of all of that, we have chosen a career that's probably one of the most uh, unstable careers, you know, yeah, art. Like, I mean, there's, there's absolutely no stability in the arts because even if I'm doing amazing work, okay, so let's take you as an example. So even if you're doing amazing work, and let's say Thank you're you. selling amazingly right now, five years from now, you might not. Oh, no, yeah, exactly. Like, well, and you just don't know. Hell, tomorrow you might not. This is true. You always, uh, I mean... You, you're always kind of fighting these battles. It's like, uh, can I, you know, sell enough to make my work via viable or like working viable? And then what do I sell, you know, my, the products in inverted commas that I make, or do I sell my time or do I sell my expertise or like, you know what? Because ultimately we're all playing the like capitalism game, right? So it's like money versus time again. So to keep it like, I mean, I want to paint. I love painting. I love to be in here. It's great. But the reality is I need to earn the money to pay the rent for this. I need to buy the materials for this. So where does that come from? Does that come from my guiding? Does that come from selling my artwork? Does that come from doing the workshops? Does that come from, where does it come from? It's got to, it's got to come from somewhere. 
it is a difficult battle. I mean, I'm sitting here doing a podcast and I'm spending hours and hours and hours doing this and I'm paying for this out of my pocket at this point, haven't received any grants or any sponsorship yet. But we do it, we do all these things. So like when I sit in the studio, I'll be in there for hours and my wife will always be like, why are you spending so long on this? But uh, in the end, we do it because we, we somewhat, to a certain extent, we have, we have faith. Yeah, yeah. I think there's like, on one hand, there's this kind of beautiful, misty-eyed romanticism of it all, where it's like, we are fighting this, you know, weird romantic battle and like the struggle of the artist and all that. But then ultimately, like, I mean, I think it's just the kind of person that I am, you know, I think art school kind of rewires you just like question everything. Why is this like this? Why is that? Blah, blah, blah. So that's cool that you ask yourself loads of little questions about everything one after the other until everything either makes no sense or loads of sense. And I, that's, that's what I do with images. Well, I remember being in art school and having the conversations of like, would you rather be a graphic designer sitting in an office every day, you know, designing stuff for other people and then do your own artwork on the side and, and earn a a lot of money or would you rather have a lot of time and you could do your own thing, but have like very little money. Mm -hmm. Like we would have these debates and, you know, sometimes I went down on one side, sometimes the other. It depends. Yeah. It depends how it is. It's like, uh, for me, it's a nice duality, really. It's, it took me a long time to get into this position, being in Prague, but with the like the tourism, the art, and then the like art tourism, like to find the balance because it works. It works kind of nicely because it's seasonal, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, like you know, over summer you have more like guiding op- options, uh, and then over winter, nobody comes to Prague in February. I mean, this they year do in December though. They love Christmas. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's a busy time. But then in February, I mean, normally it should be minus ten right now, but it's not. But th- no work, right? No work for Andy. So painting time. So it's like make hay while the sun shines. You know, mm-hmm. like you, you kill it over summer, and then I look for when I'm when I'm having a bad day. You know, with my students or whatever, or on the tours, and I'm like, oh, you know, f- fuck my life. You kind of look forward to your down period, which I mean right now, like I can just do whatever I want. I can go to the studio and paint and like times are good, you know, rather. But then there's also they're like, oh, fuck, I've got no money. Like, cause I'm not working. What's well, this? It's the gig society. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I think like I think anything like creative like that, uh, teaching included, I think it's all kind of the same. It's this uh, I have this is booked. It's so like the f- the beautiful flexibility of being a freelancer, but then also the sheer terror of being a freelancer. <laughs> and that's the, that's the part that I think a lot of people don't understand is is like we as creative people, as freelancers, as gig society people, we are so scared of the sudden not needing of whatever our one gig is. Like we may have three or seven different gigs, but like if suddenly two of those gigs don't pay anymore for whatever reason, well, that's a huge hit to our budget. And and it's a hit to our ego as well. Like we feel like, oh, suddenly we're not useful in this way. You know, there's all kinds of psychological things that go behind this. You know, like when you have put a lot of time and effort into an exhibition and we put it up and nothing sells, it hurts. I've never sold a show or once, but like, 
but it's got to be done. I have a trend that I pretty much only sell one thing at a show. That's it. I never sell more than that, really. But yeah, but I mean, but it, it hurts. Like, but you have to do it. This is the th- this is the thing that like other people don't understand. Non-creative people don't get. Like, creative people need to be creative. Period. Like, because if I'm if I didn't have a studio and if I wasn't doing this. I would be building furniture or yeah, doing something else. Yeah. Like I would be creating something like whether, oh, whether really it's my sad. actual artwork or whether it's creating whatever, like, you know, repainting the house, you know, what I would be doing something creative. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I get like, if I don't go to the studio for like a month, I'm like, yeah, super depressed. I think it's just, it's this, yeah. Uh, decision-making and like uh, not decision-making that's not really right but this like uh, what's well, choices it's choosing where to allocate your time and your energy like because you could you could choose to be out humping really hard to get more um, tours you could do that oh yeah totally but you have chosen to not go out and be overly active on that field because you want to balance it with some of this as the studio works. So that's what most of us creative people are. We're, we're looking for this great balance mm-hmm. and, and finding that balance is our great desires in life in, in all aspects of our lives. You know, we want to make enough money to be able to be happy. We want to be able to make enough artwork to be happy. We want to be able to have enough time to be able to do our artwork and make money and be happy. Searching for something, searching for, yeah, like, I guess just stability or to keep the continuation. I think one thing like um, trying to be like receptive to stuff, like many kind of, if you can place yourself into a position where, where opportunities can come to you, I think that's something that you should do like try to I mean it's this networking I'm kind of horrible at that but since being here in Prague and involved I guess more in these kind of freelance things and again with art and stuff but like place yourself into positions and try and make time for that because as well it, it ultimately if you want it to be sustainable and you want it to be to keep it going and you want it to be kind of its own business somehow you have to treat it like that. And there's there's all these little jobs that we all hate. Like, I, I really hate doing social media, but, like, you have to do it. It's like every day, 15 minutes, you know, just go like some stuff or, like, look for people and, like, read stuff, research, look for opportunities. And, like, there's this whole... But you have to... I mean, if, you, if you're serious about it, if you want to do it, then you, you have to do it. Well, we've, we've been waxing on poetically for a very long time here. But it, well, but in the end, the, the thing that like, and I, I say this constantly in my portfolio reviews as well, is basically like, you have to see it as a business. Like, so like any advice I would give is, you know, take business classes. Mm-hmm. Like, being creative, you can do that and you can get better at that throughout your life and you will, you know, continue to get better and better and more whatever, interesting, creative, unique. But if you don't treat it like a business, it will it will fail mm. like you have to treat your art like a business or else you will not succeed period very true sad but true 
I, I always like to learn new things and try new things. And I, I love learning. I love learning, but I hate learning how to, to run a business. Oh, God, yeah. It's so super boring, isn't it? <laughs> it's horrible. It's got yeah. to be done. Okay. All right. So thank you again for your time. Oh, pleasure. Absolutely. Um, I just hope it's somehow vaguely useful. Thank you all for your support of the Wise Fool Patreon account. If you've not become part of our network, by becoming a supporter, you receive the opportunity to help in the choosing of upcoming guests, cities that I should visit, and also you can give me questions that you would like me to ask future guests. You can find us and support us at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash the wise fool, all one word. If you enjoy the podcast, I would appreciate a five-star rating, and please tell your friends to listen and subscribe also. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of my many weaknesses that has become glaringly obvious to me through my insights from my guests is that my lack of professionalism in the business practices when it comes to my personal artwork. So I've become putting my work on sale on SachiArt.com. You can find my artwork available for purchase at SachiArt, S-A-A-T-C-H-I-A-R-T.com slash Matthew Doles, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-D-O-L-S. Thank you.